0: The only person you should try to beat is the person you were yesterday.
1: Yes, is that something? Yeah, I I believe that wholeheartedly. I think that there's this—I don't—I mean, I I don't know where it comes from, but there's this sense of competition in 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 the arts, and everybody is looking at their peers, the person next to them, and they're trying to make sure they're one upping that person and trying to be better than that person, and. Then they start following these weird trends and you find everybody doing the same thing and their only sense of growth is their sense of growth growth is measured by how far they've distanced themselves from the next person and for me that's just that's not the case it's it's a it makes it very tough to grow and I'm always trying to learn and grow in everything I do and the only way you can really measure that growth is if you look at the work that you've done before and how much more you've improved how much closer are you to achieving whatever it is you see in your head because when I sit down and I write I've seen the movie in my head and when I step on the set I'm ready to bring whatever is in my head to the screen and how the way I gauge my own success and the way I gauge my own growth is by how much closer have I gotten to that with each project I feel like in the beginning I was at maybe I think one of the first films I did I said I was I probably got like five percent of what was in my head on the screen because it's all about learning how to communicate and, and work effectively with everyone on the set you know um, it, it's about the team where well, teamwork makes a dream work right and it's about learning how to work with your team how do you deliver the information that they need in a way that they can understand and execute effectively and with each project I think you're supposed to grow and get better at that communication and you you can view the work to see your growth but if you're constantly measuring yourself by what everybody else is doing where's your real growth
0: true let me just play the devil's advocate for a Mm -hmm. second though because sometimes you can have a strong mindset like that but then you get individuals from the side and they Mm want to rope you into their competition Mm-hmm. And it's up to you to say, Oh, I don't think I'm playing today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we're human and we get, you know, I mean, look, it, the movie Eighth Grade, <laughs> for those of us who remember being a female in eighth grade, it, it, it reminds me a lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's still an aspect of that to adult life and especially yeah. in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you handle when you can tell you're being challenged and roped into some kind of weird competitive thing and you're saying, No, this is my path. My lane is here, your lane is there.
1: I think fortunately I I haven't been roped into that I I do know a filmmaker who I I think they're in competition with me but I think that that's all in their head because in order for it to be a competition two people have to be playing Um, but I I don't bother to participate because I know what it is that I'm trying to accomplish I, I know what my lane is and and the the kind of projects that I'm looking to create and how I'm looking to create them and realistically, the only person in that lane is is me. And even if there was another person who was doing this, the same or something similar, I would give them whatever knowledge I have to help them succeed at whatever they're trying to accomplish, because that's the way we all win—is if we're all helping each other. I, I think that if you if you look at, let's just say the the, the top one percent in Hollywood, right? They all really know each other. In some form of fashion, this guy knew that guy who worked with this guy and they came up and then this guy reached back and helped this guy and then this lady helped this guy and then this guy helped this lady. That's how it all went. Everybody helped everybody get to where they are by not considering themselves competition, by only wanting to see their peers succeed. I think that's the way it works. So even if I did realize that someone was trying to to rope me into this, this competition, I would just say, what do you need from me to help you? That, that's the conversation I, I'd rather have. How can I help you? How can I help you? I want to help you grow. I want to help you succeed. I want to help you be the best you possible. So uh, let's start working on that. Let's have that conversation.
0: You would You would really do that if you, even if you saw like their sort of underhanded tactics? You would really want to help?
1: Well, I, because I guess their underhanded tactics, what would they be for me? I don't know what they would be for me because I don't report to anyone I finance my own projects so who how can they be underhanded what would I mean I guess if they were trying to maybe you know, influence an actor to not take the role or something like that and I would just tell them ah oh, that's not cool that you did that but uh, I guess it serves some sort of purpose for you. you get some kind of satisfaction out of it but whatever because um, ultimately it's not going to change the fact that I'm still going to create this project it's it's not going to really change that fact.
0: And did you notice that more when you came here to Southern California? Or or it was the same in Georgia? People are people everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think people are people everywhere. I think that here it's 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 there's a bit more, you know, fuel pushed into the fire because the stakes are so high and the opportunities are so small. I think that you know, that puts a little bit more fuel on the fire. But in saying that, the people who I've found that I worked with repeatedly are people who they only want to see everyone around them succeed they're constantly trying to find opportunities to to bring in more people that would find some sort of benefit from whatever they're doing and that's what's made me keep working with them and I see them being successful as well I see them being successful now and it's, it's all because they'd much rather focus on reaching back and being of use than trying to compete just be of use like I told you that was one of the things I learned from John Singleton be of use be helpful
0: never ruin a good day by thinking about a bad yesterday yeah that's a good one
1: yeah like leave, leave leave that stuff in the past whatever it is leave it in the past it's not it's not helpful it's not helpful um, I found a lot of people who sit back and still talk about that film they made that one time that many years ago and this person ticked them off and then it was this person's fault and it was that and it was this and it was leave that stuff alone leave it in the past learn your lessons and take those lessons moving forward and apply them to whatever you're trying to create today if you keep focusing on what happened yesterday you have no appreciation for what's happening to you right now in the present and you definitely can't really plan for the future because you're too busy thinking about what happened yesterday. Yesterday is gone. It's gone. So just just leave the problems of yesterday back there and take the lessons you learned with you.
0: like that one story of the guy that drives around with no rear view mirror and they say, how come you don't have a rear view mirror?" And he says, "I don't need to see where I've been." <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great one. That's a great one.
0: I'm not sure if it's a real story, but it's, I've heard other people say it, so yeah Um, do you think we can really live without pain and regret
1: do I think it's possible to live without pain and regret I definitely think so I definitely think so I think that um, the the pain is just your way of uh, well in in some instances I can't speak to all kinds of pain because some pain comes from the grief of of losing someone or you know so so I can't speak to that type of pain but I can take to talk to the pain of of, in the regret of making poor decisions and I think that ultimately that kind that type of pain and that type of regret is you understanding you've done something um, you've done something wrong whether it be just incorrect or something actually wrong, and you need to actually fix that and learn your lesson from that and move forward and take that lesson with you. If you are constantly growing from the things that are happening to you in life, if you're constantly taking those lessons and moving forward to make sure they don't happen again, I do think you can live without that pain and that regret, that type of pain and that type of regret. Yeah, certainly.
0: Justin, can you explain to us why having a plan B I believe used to be very important to you and then it changed
1: oh yeah that's easy if you have a plan b you'll most often use a plan b you'll never go as hard after plan a if you think you have something to fall back on throughout my entire life everything I've done has been somewhat involved in the arts I, I, you know, I told you before. I, I drew comics. I, I wrote stories, short stories. Uh, I was in the band. I did, you know, I was in in the in the chorus as well. I'm not a good singer though. I was, <laughs> but the thing about it is, it's it's always been in the arts, and the arts have always been something I pursued. But I've always been told, always have a plan B, always have a plan B, always have a plan B. So even going to college, I had a plan B. I knew that I wanted to be in the arts. I knew that I wanted to write, um, but. I all I fell back on on uh, on ROTC because I'd always been in ROTC even in high school so I fell back on that and I had something to work with If, if nothing else worked I could you know take up something in the military but ultimately as I moved further and further throughout this career and I grew more and more inside of the career in this industry I started to realize I never went as hard after my plan A because I was always focusing on keeping my plan B healthy and all that energy that I was putting into plan B and constantly thinking of if if this doesn't work I can escape here and if this doesn't work I can escape here because I spent so much time doing that I was taking away a lot of energy from plan A where if I had invested all of that and went full bore into that um, you I would have been much more successful quicker. I think that um, I do believe you know, opportunity meets preparation and maybe it was the opportunities were coming along much later but I think I would have created all new opportunities had I focused really hard uh, or in, in just more on plan a I think that you know, Warren Buffett said it. You, know, you only have to be right 51 percent of the time that's it you only have to be right 51 percent of the time to be successful and if you were throwing everything you had at plan a the chances of your success improve greatly you know they just do
0: I don't know too much about ROTC but Mm -hmm. uh, how much of that training or being around like minds helped you sort of be resilient and and maybe take things less personal than
1: others might take um well I, I think that more than anything it teaches you accountability and responsibility and when you hold yourself accountable for something It doesn't really matter other people's critique of whatever you do is it's either constructive or not and if it's not you just toss it away because you yourself are holding yourself accountable to a higher standard than than most other people would hold you to anyway Um, so that's more than anything else is what I took away from ROTC just that accountability and, and the responsibility sure so showing yeah. up mm-hmm. you know, not, not only showing up but but showing up and being prepared more prepared than everybody else is Know know as much as you possibly can about everything that's going on and try to make try to apply that to whatever your specific task is you know
0: what kind of heart does it take to pursue this business or is heart not part of the picture
1: um heart meaning passion it has to be something that um, it's it has its own rechargeable battery I don't think that, I think you have to go hard I think you have to go hard all the time and you have to uh, I know for me I, I I was having this conversation while we're saying before I hear a lot of people say oh I die to make a movie I die to make a movie and I say I would never die to make a movie it's not, there's tons of stories you can tell and all that stuff but I die to finish one because it with all the planning and everything that goes into making a movie it's having that passion that's going to help you finish a movie because for all the movies that are out there that you can think of think about it this way if you saw a hundred movies there were probably 50,000 that got they started making but never finished and of that 50,000 there were probably 150,000 scripts that were in development and about to start production so if you look at that number and it filters all the way down to just 100 films it's not about getting the opportunity to make a, a film it's about finishing a film and that takes a passion where you where you have to go into it with. The understanding that no matter how excited someone is about your project be it the actor the the cinematographer the editors anybody who's working on that film that's not you those people for as excited as they are they do not care as much as you do they never will so when things start breaking down and it's got to be spit bubble gum and duct tape to keep it together and to keep it moving it's going to be you it's going to be you and the second you get tired and you can't finish it that's when it stops that's when it stops because you you're the you're the person you're the battery you have to keep recharging that battery that passion you have to keep it going and it has to, it has to push you all the way through every adversity and every um, every obstacle to get to completion it has to push you and it can't die ever because that's when the project will just cease to exist and once it's once it stops it's very rare the projects get picked back up and they finish them it's very rare so I would I would say in terms of heart I'd relate it to passion and say that yeah it has to be a rechargeable battery that just doesn't die It, it can't die now if you're saying what kind of heart in terms of caring and compassion and that sort of thing I I don't know how far that gets you (laughs) I don't know I think if you if you get into films that are very much about um, uh, society and how to push society forward and make people think about the world they live in and and that sort of thing if if that's the direction you're going in I think that having a heart is for compassion and 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 love and and all that great stuff I, I think that it's I think that it's it's paramount in that because there it takes a great amount of will, that willingness to understand people and open yourself up to to learn about others and to learn about their cultures and whatever it is that you're going to be talking about in that film it does take a great amount of of heart and compassion to do that to be willing to to completely immerse yourself in someone else's world but those are two very different hearts I think two very different hearts
0: sure and there can be a downside to the other heart in that things can affect you too much I mean there's been documentarians that have ended their lives because they saw things they didn't want to see yeah about different countries or wherever and the Mm -hmm. atrocities that were going on so that it can also take you down
2: it can because there
1: are things you can't unsee and uh, and once you're made aware of them your deep feeling for those things it can affect you in some profound ways in ways that you you don't expect you know I, I I I I will never forget. Um, there was a time back in, what was it, maybe maybe 09. Was it oh nine? Maybe nine 09. I was doing marketing for a skilled nursing facility. And it required that I have a nursing background. But I said, you know, there's nothing I can't learn. So of course I had to, you know, really hit the books and learn a lot of nursing terms and, and things of that nature. But I digress the thing was is there was a patient of the skilled nursing facility that ended up in the hospital and I had to go visit them and just kind of see how everything was going make sure social workers were on it and everything and they told me the guy wasn't going to be released because now he was definitely in need of a stay because he has a stage four decubitus ulcer and I was like stage four decubitus ulcer I've heard of those those are bad and they were like yeah they're bad here's a picture of it and that picture I can't unsee I can't unsee it's a it's when a bed sore has basically eaten its way to the bone almost wow and when I saw that I was like Ah, oh, why would you why would you not like give me a second before you did that, that that's permanently in my mind and now I associate it with this patient that I've grown to care for so now I'm I'm more like emotionally invested in this person it makes it hard to do my job now because your only thing you're thinking about is their decubitus ulcer but you forget the other reasons why they were there in the first place the only thing you want to do is make sure that gets healed because that is the most painful thing that someone can go through it's an incredibly painful thing and if you if you've ever seen a, decu- a stage four decubitus ulcer I apologize to you in advance that you had to see it because it's it's a very nasty wound very nasty wound you know.
0: did well maybe this is too personal we can cut this out so mm-hmm. I'll ask it and if you don't want to uh, did you move on from the job
1: I did I did I eventually I eventually had to move on from from working in a skilled nursing facility it, it was it was a, a place where you you get to know everyone by name you know, and, and you get to to learn their dietary needs and everything you know so much about you know more about them than their families do and you spend more time with them than their families do and you began to care about them deeply and to to always after it happens the first few times when someone that you know and that you speak to every day passes away it's like it's a huge shock and it's something about that realization when there is no longer a shock and that was the moment I realized I've been here too long when I changed from talking about people that I know and that I care about when I stop saying that they've passed away that they've died I stopped saying that and I started using the medical terminology which was they expired that's when I knew I I think I need to step away from this it had become death had become way too clinical for me
0: wow yeah did you take time yourself after that or you had to go into another job right away
1: I no, I took a little time away I took a little time away as a matter of fact I, I think that that was the impetus to make me say I I, I really just want to focus on the arts I I really I started having conversations with people and I, I don't know how it sounds now I, I really don't know because back then it was so clinical and it still feels clinical when I say it but I started telling people I've seen the end live your life the way you want to go out because ultimately that's what's that's what we're all doing we just don't know it but we're living our lives the way we want to go out so either your mind's going to go first or your body but live your life the way you want to go out and as I said that more I realized you know what I I will I will start feeling that regret that I'm not supposed to feel if I don't now start going 100 after my plan a that's when you'll start having that regret when you see an opportunity that you let pass by um, and doing that actually led me into uh, the film ax men at cutters creek it really did it was because I left that and I just sat down and really just got back to writing and said I just want to pursue this and I want to shoot a film by this date I want to forget everything I've been doing before this and I want to shoot this film and so that's what I did I just devoted all my energy to that and funny enough a doctor that I met actually ended up uh, financing that film and so it, it just worked out you know, in that way but uh, the impetus for that, the, the the thing that pushed me to get away from that and into this, was that realization.
0: And sorry, this was the first Axemen?
1: The first act Okay, yes.
0: so 2012, 2013
1: mm-hmm. ish. Yeah, it, we we shot it in 2012, I believe. Yeah. Okay. 2012 is when we actually shot it, but before that, it was it was me writing and going to everyone and trying to figure out who was going to finance this thing. And um, you know, it eventually worked out. It was the first time I'd done that. Before that, prior to that, everything I'd done was self-financed. And then I just realized this one's too big of a film for me to finance on my own. And so I did go around looking for, um, you know, a financier or producing partner, somebody to help me get the movie made.
0: And so you were, we were coming out of a recession. And mm-hmm. so, when money was tight for a lot of these investors, or was yeah, they, money
1: was very tight, and to there's a certain amount of vanity and ego that comes along with, I guess sometimes financiers so no. that made it <laughs> that made it a little tough it made it a little tough uh, it, it was very funny I, I learned a very, uh, an interesting lesson I have a buddy of mine and and uh, I don't mind mentioning his name he won't mind either his name is Eddie L Watkins and he's a very big stunt coordinator in the business and, and he's producing now as well and he was in these meetings with me as we were going around and everything and, and one of the one of the investors said you know what I I would just prefer if we do these scenes the way I've written and he hands me pages that he's now written to rewrite my script right and so he hands me these pages and he hands one to Eddie and we're in this meeting and Eddie doesn't even read it he just looks at me and I'm I'm reading I'm looking at Eddie and and I'm like I don't understand why you would do this this is not you know I'm trying to give him my notes on what he written and the guy is puffing up his chest and he's doing those things and again Eddie's just watching and uh, the guy won't accept any notes he says to us look this is how the film needs to be written if you want my money because he who makes the gold or he who has the gold makes the rules guy actually said that wow and Eddie without missing a beat says that's only if we want your gold and I look at it and are we, are, we, are we walking <laughs> and he says yeah we're walking that's it meeting over and we literally walked out of the door and that was it and I thought oh we finally had a guy you know and and he was you don't want to work with a guy like that because if you don't if you can't get along with him now and if he has no flexibility now he'll have none during production and he'll think that every idea is supposed to end up on the screen and that's not someone you want to work with especially if their ideas don't work for the project And it was very funny because walking away from that we eventually walked into the investor that we did use yeah it was a very scary time because I'd walked away from that job and I spent a lot of time trying to get the ball rolling but what I did was I took plan b and I tossed it and everything that came below that no plan c d no escape routes no nothing I want to make this movie and I want to make it next and that's exactly what happened because I didn't give myself an alternative I didn't give myself you know, a way out of it a way for it not to occur
0: when you met with the he who has the gold makes the rules person mm-hmm. how many investors in was that how many meetings in was that a first mm-hmm. meeting
1: or? no that was probably our second okay it was probably our second or third yeah probably our second or third
0: But you, you, and and your your friend, the stunt coordinator, both just had like a a gut reaction. Like, if it's bad now, Mm -hmm. this is the honeymoon phase. It's not going to be. It's not going to
1: improve. Well, here here's here's the backstory to that, which is that Eddie has been in the industry forever. Uh, He started out as Eddie Murphy's bodyguard. Uh, That's how he started out, and eventually he got into the industry as a as a a stunt guy and he eventually got into the place where he now coordinates all the stunts and he has just a long history in the film and he has a lot of experience so he gave me many life lessons along the way but in this one he he'd done it so much where he didn't even need to read the paper it didn't matter because this is the guy who wrote it and he knows if it's good or not That was his only point I would know if it's good or not and if it's not appropriate for the film we're not going to do it so that's that's how that decision got made
2: we
0: republished this tweet from the numbers game on our channel page and it says squid game creator wrote the show in 2009 but was rejected by studios for 10 years he once had to stop writing the script and sell his 675 dollar laptop due to money troubles and today squid game is number one I guess in 90 countries and is set to become the most watched show in netflix history what is your reaction to this the story this chain of events
1: I mean if it's true it's awesome um, I, I it's it's that feeling of, of the never say die attitude no matter how much rejection you get you still keep plowing forward and I love those stories I do Um, I think that I always if the story is is completely third-party then I I feel that it's it's an awesome story of of perseverance but if it's a a Netflix story which I I I have I'm a Netflix subscriber I, I definitely watch it but they can tell you what's number one and you just have to believe that it's true We have no way of verifying that it's number one (laughs) only that they said it was number one I always wonder that whenever I'm looking at the the like this is number one for the week and number 10 for the week I'm like how do we really know that that's number one and number 10 it's just because we went there and they told us that it was so um, but like I said before if it's the story if the story is true and it's you know it's a third-party story that's a great story of perseverance Um, I, I think that we people are born with a lot of quit in them for some reason I don't know or maybe it's developed over the years but when they start to reach those obstacles or any kind of adversity it's it's very easy to to, to give up and unfortunately I think that we all have people in our lives who, who care about us greatly they care about us deeply and they will see us going through some adversity and it's like oh man it's been years you probably should maybe maybe you should start thinking about something else because they care about you and they want you to be successful and They don't want to see you kind of beating your head against the wall and they'll sometimes advise you to "Eh, maybe maybe throw in a towel on this one and I'm pretty sure he had that person next to him telling him that and when I always hear about people who have those advisors with them I always say find new advisors because the only thing that people should help you understand is why you care so deeply about what you're doing that's always the real question why do you care so deeply and after that they should just be trying to help you achieve whatever the goal is you're trying to achieve or give you the best advice they could on how to achieve it you know
0: I know you said you left your uh, job as a marketing coordinator at a nursing skilled nursing facility Mm -hmm. but have you ever been tempted to give up on films As, as many roller coaster rides as you've been on it sounds like
1: no no I I've I've had times where it was tough and ultimately you had to feed the safe you know you, you have to say okay you know I gotta focus on putting money over here and this and that but I've I, I, they always say that the 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 line between uh, self-belief and delusion is very thin <laughs> and I must be riding that line because I, I've just I've always believed especially after I left the skilled nursing facility that it's this or bust is this or bust? And I'm very, very fortunate that I've gotten to a point where now I self finance all of my projects, and you know I I think that I I can service two different demographics. I can service the horror crowd, which is what most people know my work uh, from is horror, and and that like 80s style horror and then I can also serve a niche of people who are like me who like the kind of stuff that I like and that's a smaller niche but I can still serve that niche and that's where I get to um, really be the most creative that I could possibly be but that took time to get to that point and it took a lot of sacrifice to get to that point point. and I think there are moments in everybody's life where they realize that man this is very difficult and I wonder if the juice is worth the squeeze at this point but it is my belief that once you start to feel that that's when you should be your most um, decisive in going forward and the reason is because success and everything you're looking for is just on the other side of that it's it's when you don't have the teeth to keep going and you give up you you cut yourself short and you always wonder what if I have just kept going what if I would had just given it another this or made that one extra phone call but I never want those questions and what I found is right when you have right when you get past that point everything I was looking for was just on the other side it was just on the other side and I'm starting to reap a lot of the benefits of that perseverance and continuously going forward.
2: Would
0: you say that's one of your biggest fears? Is the fear of regret? You you don't ever want to get to a certain point and go, "I wish I had just done this, tried harder." Or?
1: Um. No, I I think more than anything, I just. I don't want to feel like, and this is going to sound really weird, but I don't want to feel like life beat me. I don't want life to beat me. I've seen life beat so many people, most people around me. Life beat them. When you ask them what happened, what do most people say? Life happened, man. I I had it there and this happened and that. I don't want life to beat me. I take everything that comes with life and I try to use it to my benefit, everything. You know, at this point my wife is, is is pregnant right guess who's gonna be in my movie is it my, my kid <laughs> he's gonna be the star of the movie you take everything that's coming to you and you use it whatever happens in my life I use it if it's if it's something crazy and wild happen it's a story in the script if this happened that it's in the script I'm taking everything that comes it comes towards me and I'm using it I'm using it as fuel I'm using it as something to keep moving forward life won't beat me it won't
0: we're hoping to get your reaction to this comment and that is this is not a triumph it's a tragedy and it's a sign of just how much the industry needs to do better because creative original work should not be just a long struggle to put it out referring to the squid game Mm -hmm. and what are your thoughts on that um he didn't let life beat him
1: no he didn't let life beat him but to say it's not a triumph it's a tragedy it's like wow really I I don't look you everything that we do especially in this industry everything you're trying to do is met with resistance and opposition it just is it is if the way I try to explain it to certain people when they say oh it's nepotism and this person and that and this is why I can't get in and okay let's say you are trying to to get through the door okay in every film I've worked with let's say we take the collective of everybody I've worked with in that film maybe seven percent of them are people I actually work with again maybe okay and it all has to do with the way I run my set And what I expect from people in the end not everybody is gonna operate at that same level okay and while I can be very chill I can also be pretty intense you know now because I'm very passionate about what I'm doing so if that's the case after a certain amount of time I'm hopeful that the percentage of people that I'm working with is growing so that now I'm carrying over most people from one project to the next why am I doing that because these are the people that I know these are the people that I trust okay and I want to keep them next to me and I want to keep them working with me so when the next person comes along and they say well guess what I can do this and I can do that I say you probably could and you're probably great at it but then I would have to take a chance and maybe on this project I'm already taking these chances I can't afford to take that chance and that person can see that as an obstacle to their growth and to their success because they couldn't get that position on that film they couldn't get that thing out there and if they go to more and more people like me who begin to accumulate a nice team that they work with a very a team that makes everything work smoothly they're going to meet that same opposition right And it will become a game in terms of trying to find that crack to squeeze in to get whatever it is that you're trying to to get made made so when people speak of the struggle to get things done that's really the struggle the struggle is first of all he's written something right and he has to get it in front of someone to read it well guess what there's hundreds and thousands of other scripts that are trying to be read everybody's trying to get their stuff made the key is going to be the perseverance and to keep going and that to me is the triumph of the story as I said if it's if it's the true story and it's you know a third party and they're talking about it to me that is a triumph that's not a tragedy it's a triumph you took something that is not a very—it's um, not a cheap story to make. Like he can't go out and get a, a camera phone and shoot that. Like it doesn't work the same. He's going to need a serious budget. Guess what? That's even more competitive because to get people to spend the the millions of dollars that it's going to take to make that and market that—that's tough. It's very competitive, and it shouldn't be easy because if it were easy, it wouldn't be worth it so excuse me sorry um, I I disagree with that it's it's not a it's not a tragedy it's a triumph what was
0: behind door number one what we didn't tell you what was missing from that tweet mm-hmm. um, is that director Huang did not stop during those 10 years he kept working and he wrote and directed I guess three projects mm-hmm. during that time and a lot of people um, they may have just been stuck on that first one mm-hmm. and, and trying to make that one happen so he for whatever reason kept going and made other work and I, I don't know the exact story of how it happened but mm-hmm. um, it sounds like he wasn't going to let life beat him down either so yeah like it's
1: a story of perseverance mm-hmm. like I said he he may feel that it was a tragedy he may because you know two people looking at the same event can see two totally different things right to me that's not a that's not Uh, a tragedy to me that's a triumph and hearing that he made other projects while he was trying to get that one made even further you know, uh, solidifies that it's it's perseverance at its best and it's never giving up and his plan a I don't think was just to make squid game his plan a was to to be successful and get something made and that's exactly what he was getting done squid game just took a little bit longer than the others but ultimately he got that one done as well
0: when you were on your way out from the nursing home Mm -hmm. did people try to talk you out of leaving
1: yes yeah but I always make sure that I seek first to understand and then to be understood and I could understand why they didn't want me to go because you know I was a salesman and I was pretty you know decent at what I did so they didn't want me to leave uh, because then that meant that they would have to find another salesperson and then they would have to take a gamble you know, and see if that person would work out. And, and when it comes to the healthcare industry, especially when it's end of life and it's, it's uh, you know, assistant living facilities, it's skilled nursing facilities, home health, and hospice is super competitive. It's super competitive. So you need very aggressive salespeople. And that was ultimately why they didn't want me to go. I mean, I think there were a couple people who just like talking to me every day (laughs) and those people didn't want me to go and and I think a few of the patients but I think or residents I should say but um, for the most part it was it was because of my skills that they didn't want me to leave and once I understood that I said that's even more of a reason to 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 kind of leave and not feel too bad about it Mm -hmm. you know
0: Well, they tried to talk jeff bezos out of making amazon so
1: well there you (laughs) you go go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) can you talk about the decision that you were not going to make movies by committee anymore and what does that mean
1: it's for me it's 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 about it's going back to accountability and being able to hold myself accountable for for not growing for not achieving the level of growth that I need to achieve when you're making a movie by committee which I understand completely that most industry movies are made by when it's you know, a studio or whatever but <clears throat> going through that many mm-hmm. levels of decision making and you know this person believes they know what's better for the film they know what's better for the audience they know what's better for marketing they know what's I believe you need one voice we need one voice that ultimately makes the decision of what to do inside of the film you can definitely confer with everyone around you when I I hire an actor I hire them because they are the best at what they do and they fit this role and when they read the script they're going to be able to tell me things to a level of detail that maybe I haven't thought about right and I trust their intuition and I'm going to figure out a way where we can kind of make that work inside the film but that's not what I mean by committee what I mean by committee is a executive producer who now says you know what and this is a real thing that happened yeah I think we need a topless scene right now And how there's in what way you know it, it's like at what time would somebody take their clothes off that doesn't even make any sense uh, there's a murderer running around and everybody's in the same room like what would be the reason that they would need to you know it's like a lot of those decisions that are just made because people want to be heard and they want to see whatever they've said show up on the film it's it's a vanity and ultimately when you're making movies like that and and by committee with multiple people having all of this input your film is getting further and further and further away from what you're trying to achieve and as I said the only person I'm really competing with is the person that I was yesterday I'm constantly trying to grow and how can I measure my growth if everything around me is being affected by people who are not me and people who've already articulated that it has to be in there or you know basically they can withdraw funding that's ultimately what it is is that the decisions when they're being made by committee are made by people who can ultimately make the decision of if you won't do what I'm asking you to do if you won't put this in the film I can withdraw funding and I can do it at any time I can do it at any point because again they're not as invested in the film as you are they're invested in their own vanity a lot of times not not all the times there are some great financiers out there and some great executive producers but unfortunately I haven't worked with them <laughs> you know but the ones that I've worked with have been kind of vain and and it has been the vanity of having whatever was in their head added to the film even if it doesn't make sense story-wise
0: sure and, and in in any relationship where someone's giving you money they, they kind of own you in a sense
1: they do they and, do and, and especially when you know that they can pull the plug and it's the reason why I have overlooked a lot of the things that have been done on on the the set you have to let a lot of things go and try to control the things you can control Um, but along the way this committee will continuously try to influence everything that you do and it makes your personal growth you can't measure it because it's not really you it's you plus that guy and that lady and that kid you know, it's it's you plus all of this, when it should be you making the sole decision. Now you can take inspiration from what other people say, you can take some advice from what other people say, if it applies, if it's applicable, but you can ultimately decide if it's not. And I only began to get that sense of freedom when I started to to finance my own projects. That's when I began to see it.
0: What kind of sacrifices did you have to make to be able to finance your own work?
1: <laughs> um, security,
0: financial security. Or, oh yeah, oh, okay. for a while,
1: mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. um, financial security. Um, a lot of things that probably so many to, to too many to name, but things that would have certainly made uh, my young lady happy. Um, we had to sacrifice a lot we had to sacrifice a lot of time that you would normally spend together I was holed up by myself doing so many things myself because whatever you can't pay for you have to assume that responsibility yourself so even when we would be sacrificing financially um, we were also sacrificing just the time we got to spend together and it was it was very hard time in the beginning a very hard time Um, but here's the thing is and I don't advise that people just run out and start self-financing their own stuff I I would say before you do that understand how distribution works because once you understand how you make your money back then you can justify how much money you spend on a project right you don't want to give yourself you don't want to take you know a loan out for $80,000 $100,000 and make a movie that you're only going to make $5,000 from You to stack as many of the of the the statues stack as much of the deck in your favor as possible. So, but you know, in the beginning, I certainly had to sacrifice financial security, and I had to sacrifice a lot of time and spend a lot of time away from my lady. You know, Uh, and I've been away from my family since two thousand four. I go back home every once in a while to Georgia, but for the most part my family has seen me on average maybe once every three years maybe maybe every two years but I probably lean towards the three I I don't go home that often so uh, there's been a lot of sacrifice to get to where I am today
0: and when you're writing a script is it now in your mind that okay this is going to cost too much and I'm not going to make my money back on this I have to change this scene
1: Mm, no I I, I'm always aware of the story that I'm writing and the budget that it falls within I make sure I tell the truth in the story and budget should never dictate truth but budget should dictate what you're trying to do as a whole I don't think you should make a sci-fi opera if you only have two thousand dollars I think that that's a that's setting yourself up for for failure I think that if you're going to tell A very intimate story between two characters that, you know, they met outside of a motel, you know, in the parking lot, and they're developing this romance over two days at the motel, and one guy is there on a business trip, and the lady lives there, you know, whatever. But if you're trying to make something very small and mostly just the conversations that they have between one another, and those, that's easy to do, and that's very inexpensive but if one of them is a cybernetic organism and they shape-shift and uh, they walk they walk through these wormholes that constantly open up and now all the machines are coming out to attack everybody and the motel blows up then I think you've kind of (laughs) set yourself up for uh, for um, for failure
0: you used to rely on investors to make your films now you don't and we'd love to know the economics of what you did when you had investors and now what you do as a self-financier
1: I would say that now I make less financial mistakes (laughs) Um, when I worked with investors I I knew enough to know that I was always going to need a reserve right so whenever I spoke to someone about the budget I always said make sure we also have you know, this much in reserve and I wrote the script and most often times more often than not I would have to use that reserve and you would often find that you're using that reserve in post-production because more of the money got used in production than you thought would have been as I've now began to do it myself I budget I budget actually over what I would actually need and I try to save as I go along, you know, as opposed to the, you know working backwards where you budget just enough, and then you're like, oh, this cost more than I thought it would, or you know, maybe we missed a day, and then we have to add another day to production, or you know, you 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 don't realize the problems you're going to have until you start having them, and that was what I was going through during the period of time of having investors. So now I I, I think I, I make less financial stakes, less less. Uh, budgetary mistakes and scheduling mistakes now that I'm financing it myself and it's mainly just because I have the experience you know
0: and how are you able to save because you know how different things can happen there can be rain and you have to shut it down for the afternoon different things Mm -hmm. what are some of the things you've learned can help actually save on
1: production Uh, we always have you know you have the schedule as it's supposed to be but then we know that if we have days where weather impacts shooting, then we have like a safe shoot. So we always know, okay, these are the things we're going to shoot, but if on any one of these days, you know rain is not permitting or something happens out on the road or whatnot, we can go back and we can shoot this inside, and that way you don't lose any days. you're just moving things around in the schedule. I think that one of the oh I think about this day, and it's just. I'm like, how could I be so crazy? We were shooting Axe Man, actually. And one of the days, the the executive producer showed up and um, for whatever reason, he came in, we were shooting one scene inside and then we were supposed to be shooting something else outside and then it just started pouring rain. And so we came in and we all sat down and we just waited for the rain to stop. Hours. We waited for the rain to stop. Instead of shooting anything else we were actually shooting something indoors already and then we stopped shooting that because that was over and then we decided to shoot outside when we couldn't shoot outside we didn't shoot anything and it was a completely lost day like I want to say four hours of not shooting when we could have been shooting any number of scenes and in shot inside and that was one of the biggest takeaways from that is once I thought about it I was like I am I am nuts for allowing that to happen. We should have moved on and shot something else. So. I, you know, again, I I learned a lot of things early on that I carried over into, you know, uh, the ones that I executive produce now as well, and so that's all the lessons I've told you. every, Every time something happens, you have to learn that lesson and carry that lesson forward, and that was that was one of the ones that you know I certainly learned. So I always have backups for you know exterior shoots.
0: So, even if you have to shoot something out of order, mm-hmm. then as long as you just just keep keep everybody there and keep it rolling kind of yeah thing.
1: yeah, the only the only film where that would have been tough was the one I just finished shooting, one and one. That one we had the we had the complexity of the beard because his beard was either there or not there. And so everything with the beard had to be shot, you know, together. So you couldn't jump the line and go shoot something else because he, you know he's not supposed to have a beard. So, you know, that was the only one that presented an issue.
0: How much money was going into your movies when you were dealing with the financiers?
1: Um, you know, we we always made sure we didn't spend more than a hundred. You know, we never spent more than a hundred. I really, unless you're shooting with massive names, or if you're shooting something that I mean, of course if it's something that is going to use up most of the budget, like we, I just finished working with someone who was doing a film where, you know, it's dinosaurs, and it's a very different thing, right? So, so the, there, a lot of money is going to go towards, you know, CGI and all that stuff. So, um, but if if you're shooting the kind of movies that I shoot, that rely on practical effects and, you know, things of that nature, and the stars are not huge and stuff like that, I don't believe it should go over hundred. I believe anytime you're going over 100 you're really rolling the dice I think you're rolling the dice anyway but you're really rolling the dice over 100 because I I believe that with a smart marketing plan even with a bunch of flaws um, you can make back 100. if you go to 250 you go to 350 and you don't have huge names attached or if you don't have a whole lot of marketable elements you could you could dig a hole that you can't climb out of so it's always been under 100 and I try to keep most of my movies under 100 and if you factor in a lot of the the discounts I receive on things you could really see my budgets kind of coming in at around 250. You know that that's what they would be like if I was being charged full rate for a lot of things
0: so, and so 100 sorry for the entire production including post mm-hmm. and deliverables and and prints and advertising yes okay Mm -hmm. and were all those films profitable that had financiers attached
1: I would say that in the beginning no they didn't they became they became more profitable after I got them back and after I marketed them myself the reason being is this and and that's why I just gave a one answer one word answer of no and the reason is because earlier on I thought if I give my film to a distributor then that distributor is going to market my film they're going to sell it all over the place and then I'm just going to rake in a bunch of money and it'll be awesome and that's not really what happens a distributor basically places your film and if no traffic gets driven to those places you don't make any money so ultimately it's your job your responsibility as a filmmaker to drive traffic to that film or to to drive traffic to those places where it can be purchased right or rented or whatnot so if you're not doing that you're not making money and if you, this, I mean, back in the day when sales agents really mattered, um, that sales agent could take the film and sell it here and sell it there and sell it there. But nowadays, that doesn't really matter unless it's a huge film or it has a very huge name attached. Even those those things don't matter. So you have to understand not only that it's your responsibility to do so, but you have to also understand how to accomplish it how to drive traffic to those places so that you make money so no when those films were released they were not profitable then but they are profitable now
0: so it's not just enough to get a distributor to put it on itunes or google play or whatever you've got to have a plan in place to get eyeballs to go to those links
1: correct correct that was that was one of the biggest lessons I had to learn and not only learning that that was my job but figuring out how to do it because it can be very tricky it can be very tricky because the the amount of films that are out that are constantly coming out is just crazy and if you think about it as as filmmakers most filmmakers think oh this person's in the film this and all these people know other people and everybody's talking about my film amongst each other oh man I'm doing it It's, it's huge and it's like no because you're just talking to other people in the industry and yeah everybody else in the industry is talking about it but they're really not your audience and they're really not the people who are going to make your film a success they're not unfortunately the audience is the people who you're marketing the film to in terms of a paying audience who that's their interest that's that those are the people who you want to be aware of your film those are the people who you want talking about your film and as i began to notice it more and more i even took my own personal facebook page down i took it down because it was for what i was doing it was worthless and it was a waste of time because everybody who i knew worked in the industry and we all pumped each other up and oh you're awesome and it, that stuff doesn't matter <laughs> that stuff did not pay the bills you know pumping each other's ego up is that's all it's doing is pumping pumping each other's ego up so I got away from that completely and just started really focusing on how do I find my audience and how do I keep them engaged and then how do I best convert that audience to a paying audience how do I best do that and those were things I just learned along the way
0: so maybe your audience let's say would be the people that would attend a horror convention in middle america Mm -hmm rather than people on either coast that are also looking to be cast
2: correct okay yeah
0: but
1: unfortunately and you don't know it really on 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 like when you're on like a social media platform like Facebook and everybody's friending you friending you like oh my movie's so popular man. (laughs) and it's only after you sit back and you look at it that you realize man every single one of these people are either actors or composers like what is this? Like, I got seven thousand friends. Well, five thousand friends, and four thousand and eight hundred of them are other actors and, and composers. You know, like that's that's the the list of uh, and and, the, and that's not my audience. That's not who I'm really looking to to convert. You know, those are the people who I'm looking to keep engaged. They're already engaged because they're looking for work. You know, so you know I had to learn how do I how do I find my audience and how do I keep them engaged how do I keep them happy and I really started to notice when I got ax man back and I just kind of put out a blurb about it guess what guys I got it back and then everybody was like oh that's awesome blah 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 and what are you going to do now and, oh I'm going to re-edit it oh you're going to re-edit it how's it going to be different and people were actually really engaged and and we, we had a lot of back and forth and I had people writing me you know I always thought this should have happened in the movie and I'm like we already shot it. It's like it's, <laughs> I'm re-editing, but I'm not going back re-shooting things. You know, it's it's been a while. I think everybody's aged at this point, but um, you know, just looking to go back and re-edit it and and get it closer to the vision that I had for it. And they were just so excited and engaged. And when the movie came out, it was instantly great. I mean, it was instant uh, instantly profitable. And one of the coolest things about it was I didn't even release it for people to rent or purchase. I released it directly to uh, amazon prime and 2b tv and that was it just those two platforms. just those two platforms now it's, it's since expanded but just I would even say even if you remove amazon from the equation which you know if most filmmakers haven't they should in terms of av or in terms of svod you should remove that from the from your overall vision of how much money the movie is going to make and really focus on places like Tubi because that's where I would say 95 percent of the revenues come from has been from Tubi
0: and with Tubi are there forced ads
1: yeah, yeah. okay so you you have to watch the ads sure, sure. you have to okay, watch great. the ads and mm-hmm. and I think every movie it starts with like two or three ads and then it goes into the movie and then a few minutes in it's another four or five ads and then it go and so if you keep people engaged if you have quality content you keep people engaged each time they pass one of those commercials you're making more money and so you know that's the name of the game is is a v o d for for certain movies for certain movies now if you have a movie like you know like the my most recent film one to one if you have something like that where you have you know a couple of names that are in the movie that people recognize that's something you want to really push and see what tvod has to offer transactional video because the odds are a lot of people will go there to rent or purchase that film uh, because they recognize those people and because the content may be something they're interested in
0: did you use an aggregator to get it on tubi or amazon prime or these other you said uh, with the v Mm -hmm. sorry with the wants and want you yeah yeah
1: yeah uh, with the smaller films I go through film hub actually film hub is a great resource um, because mainly because I I think for most people the barrier to entry is too high um, from going with a traditional aggregator because they're going to charge you per platform they're going to first of all have a set fee and then any platform after that is another another fee and another fee and another fee and another fee right now if you anticipate and when I say anticipate I don't mean hope but you've actually done the homework and you anticipate making I don't know uh, 500 grand right let's I'm just going to use that ballpark figure if you anticipate making 500 grand from your film and you went through an aggregator then you paid them up front so that's all they got so if you paid them if you paid them up front and it was twenty five hundred bucks then that's all they got and you got all the rest of that money but if you went through film hub well film hub you didn't pay anything up front they take I think it's I think it's ten percent so if they're taking ten percent then they took fifty thousand dollars which is huge but if you anticipate because you've done the research and you know films in your certain budget range they maybe only hit a certain number then and you know that you're gambling anyway then Film Hub is better because there's no real barrier to entry you can just put the film in see how it does and let's say you you crap out at ten thousand, right games over it's made it's made ten thousand, and from now it's petering out um, then you didn't spend anything to get into the game and if you if film hub takes their percentage they've only taken a thousand dollars
0: is there a period of time when the film kind of peaks or depends on the title in terms of like viewership is it the first
1: month I think it all depends I think it depends on your how you've promoted the film or if you even know anything about promoting because I didn't in the beginning and I know my film came out and I know people were watching it but I had no idea how they were watching it Um, I never sent them anywhere to watch it Um, it grew a following but I I don't know how much of that was how much of that was from them finding the actual places where it was being shown and watching it through there or just watching a pirated link I would have no way of knowing because I never I never invested the time in understanding how to market to an audience so I didn't have that information at my disposal but um, you know, as I as I moved more into understanding the marketing of a film I can say that I usually will feed that audience engage that audience and then point them to where I need them to go and I can watch the film through every quarter actually with film hub because you know you can piece out the rights you can you know, take the rights and do this by yourself and then Film Hub only handles this. But of everything I'm seeing, I can see it month by month, what's happening, you know, and see how much money I'm generating, how many views I'm getting month over month. And I usually find that in the first quarter, that's where you get the larger number of people viewing your film because that's when it's still hot. That's when it's it's most exciting and everybody wants to watch it and see what happens. And then it starts to kind of find a a little medium and it rides that probably for another two quarters
0: and when you say piece out the rights what Mm -hmm. does that mean meaning you own it in perpetuity but then they own it for certain time certain amount of
1: uses no actually film hub doesn't they you're not even you're, you're licensing it to them but it's for no predetermined amount of time so at any moment you can just stop it you can say, you know what, yeah. I'm not liking this anymore. I'm just going to stop it now. Okay. And you can choose to do so. And yeah. what I mean by piecing out is, you know, if you're going to, I mean, it's different now, but in the beginning, if you wanted to keep Amazon rights for yourself, because ultimately, why would you want somebody to upload to Amazon when you could do that yourself? So for a lot of people, they kept the Amazon rights themselves, and then they would put the rest of their You know the rest of the platforms on on uh, film hub and then they will make all their money that way and so as Amazon has moved away from allowing direct uploads for prime they've moved away from that recently so I say recently like it was just now but I think it was beginning of 2021 they they moved away from that model so yes you can upload your film and it can be tvld for rent for purchase but it won't go to Amazon Prime unless it was put up by another distributor or an aggregator
0: really do you know why they did that
1: I mean the rumor is that it was because so much of Prime was cluttered with not that quality content because people were saying oh it's a feature film and really it was just a bunch of episodes of a uh, you know something they put on youtube like you know like a like uh um, you know them um what was one of the ones it was like a tutorial on something like nails and stuff or something and they just put together a bunch of episodes and it equaled out to like 45 minutes and then they just uploaded that and now that's considered a movie and so i think amazon just they got enough backlash from that um and they decided you know it's it's not worth it for us to allow people to do that now we need somebody curating that content I think that was part of it I think the other part of it too is ultimately Amazon creates their own content and so you're even though I know I know a lot of people think that we're not really in competition with with Amazon because you know they have these huge big shows that are watched by hundreds of thousands of people if not millions of people we're not competing with that and essentially yes you are you just not you by yourself but if you and you and him and her and we all got together and there was a thousand films that hit Amazon Prime if you add up all the people watching that content it is rivaling their shows it's taking attention away from the stuff that they've created so I think it's those two reasons in tandem that really pushed them to make that decision and say you know what I think let, let's put an end to this let's make it a curated thing where at worst I'm sorry at best they're going to have to go through through film hub you know? and and I think so, so many people still don't know about film hub and I, I think if you if you knew about film hub as a as an independent filmmaker you would never rely on Another predatory distributor again. You never would, because you realize they're completely inconsequential. You can give your film away to this guy over here who will make money off your film and you'll never see a dime. Or you can do it yourself and put it on Film Hub, and chances of you seeing money is far greater. You know. It would keep people out of making some really bad, bad deals with distributors with bad intent, you know.
0: And do they have certain specs that they require? Aspect Film
1: yeah. Uh-huh. yeah 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 yeah. They, they do they do specify the the formats that you must submit and they do specify you know how many moments of black you know that you can have so that the films are pretty uniform so you're not having more than I think more than two seconds of black at the beginning and not more than two seconds of black at the end that sort of thing just so that movies start you know Because I know there are people who try to pad things out and oh you know if I throw on two minutes of black at the beginning and five minutes of black at the end you know my movies now 83 minutes (laughs) so I think they try to do that but but ultimately it's just something to keep it uniform
0: why have you put your films on tubi
1: at the moment it's probably the greatest revenue generator um, because people get to watch it for free it's a free app that's in pretty much, I would say almost every English-speaking territory, and even some non-English-speaking territories. So it's widely available, uh, just as much so as Amazon Prime. And you know, it's it runs off ad revenue, so it's completely free, unlike Amazon Prime, where you have to have a membership. You know, whatever you pay per year, your annual membership. With Tubi, you just download the app to your phone or to the computer or to your television, and you know, you're know, you able to watch films completely for free just everything all the revenue is generated from from ad, advertisements so
0: we recently heard that a filmmaker said that he made like six figures from tubi mm-hmm. um, can you tell us your experience
1: uh, six figures yeah definitely possible uh, I think it depends upon a lot of factors I don't know if this filmmaker did it on one film because that's a different set of factors, versus he just had a bunch of his films on there and that's a different set of factors. But depending upon the factors, yeah, certainly. All it all it really all that really needs to happen is that you drive an audience that you've been interacting with to be. You know? The only, the only pushback I would say I received in terms of of why someone hasn't viewed a film of mine on Tubi was just that they didn't know what Tubi was they didn't know how much it was going to cost so they didn't bother to download it that's the only thing I think that as more people become acquainted with Tubi I think that's going to be the place to go to to place a film and I've actually been in in talks with them so that I don't have to go through an aggregator In order to place films there because all they really want to see is that they're not dealing with a filmmaker who has one film they want to deal with someone who has multiple films so that they aren't just dealing with one-offs of having to have different bank accounts to pay or whatever so that's why they deal with aggregators that's why they deal with distributors because they're just paying one person for a lot of films versus one-offs
0: so you don't have, let's say, a dashboard within Tubi that you can go and see what you made for this quarter.
1: I don't have it uh, because I don't have a direct relationship with them yet. But I'm about to have a direct relationship with them. Uh, for right now, I see all of my revenue projections from FilmHub. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. great.
0: Why do you place such an emphasis on owning your own movies?
1: I believe that that is the only way to operate with any type of freedom in this industry to be tethered to a committee to be tethered to someone who holds the purse strings it just already this (laughs) this industry you have to have a thick skin already and it's an artistic industry it's not like it's you know being an accountant or something it's it's actually you relying on your own creativity and your ability to take what's ever in your head and apply it in reality to make it come true right you're trying to do all these things and and ultimately you have so many people around you that are that could be whether it's negatively or positively influencing that and manipulating it and they don't mean to they don't mean to it's not like I don't think many people are out to just screw you over with bad ideas I think that everybody just wants their own thing they want their own imprint on whatever it is and it really hampers your your freedom and your ability to grow but if you if you were able to finance your own projects and you were able to uh, understand the distribution process so that you understand how much money you generate from that then you've taken so much of your own financial freedom and your creative freedom into your own hands that's why I really emphasize owning your own rights and not I don't even license my stuff out unless I know that this person can do something that I can't do and even then I'm only licensing the rights to them for the things that I can't do on my own that's it because I know that if I it, license it licensing to them for I don't know two three years that's two or three years that I'm tied to them on this specific thing and if I learn how to do that in that specific in that during that time I can't even do anything about it because they're already doing it so I have to wait until their license is up before I can do it myself because I like to I like holding me accountable I like making myself responsible because that's the only way I know for sure 100 that it will get done and get done to the level that I would do it or that I want it to be done so in all of this what I'm trying to do is is take all of my projects and use them to not only express myself artistically but also to provide my own security moving forward you know
0: how do filmmakers continue to make movies if their films aren't profitable
1: they can't not from any standpoint you can't do it if you rely on investors and you can't do it if you're relying on yourself financially the best thing that I can ever recommend is that's why I always say I always give the before I tell someone oh make it yourself I tell them to learn distribution and learn what your specific film what on average does that film kind of make based on a number of different factors and then you try to stack as many of the marketable elements into your film as possible so that while you're being free creatively to create what, whatever you want to and to finance that you've stacked a certain number of things in your favor to make it profitable if not for you for the person that invested in the film you know
0: how does someone really learn distribution though without really having gone through sort of the the heart school of hard knocks with it?
1: that's the that's the catch-22 I think that everything that you learn about if you if you watch a video and someone explains to you this is how everything works and that's how it worked when they made that video because it's already changed things that worked in 2014 don't work today they just don't because as equipment has become cheaper and The ability to market the film has become more democratized more people have started making films than ever before now anything that you've learned leading into this period of time you've been able to build upon but if you're now watching things back then about how the industry works you are so far behind you're so far behind the best way that you're gonna learn is to take a certain amount of money that you can afford to lose and get in the game. That's really the best way that you're going to learn it. If you've got a thousand dollars, you can make a film and I'm telling you this because I made a film that's in distribution and it cost me fifteen hundred bucks. <laughs> and it's on Tubi right now. I think it's on Tubi, uh, which is Adam K. Right, that film cost me fifteen hundred bucks, and I have a name in it. You know, uh, Fair Abraham, who she was number one trending on Twitter at that time. Uh, but yeah, roughly fifteen hundred bucks is what it cost me to make that film. You can do that, and you can get into the game. That's the best way that you're going to learn how to do it, because trying to to gather that information from things online I I think you'll end up being behind the ball when it comes to distribution specifically when it comes to how to write a story when it comes to how to cast actors when it comes to how to produce a film when it comes to development when it comes to those things those things are integral to getting the film going but the conversation that needs to happen before that is the one that keeps changing which is distribution because all that Affects everything else until you get to that point, and that's the part that just keeps changing, you know. So the best way to understand it is just shoot something. Just shoot something, anything. It's so cheap to do so right now. It, whether they have the the iPhone, you can plug the little anamorphic lens adapter for a hundred bucks on the back of it, and then you're shooting something. Just go do it. Understand understanding the windows of how to release things is important you know. but you only learn all of those things after you've distributed something after you've already invested in it or you've gotten someone else to invest in it
0: so it's like if you're in a flight simulator or you're let's say playing some day trading game unless that's like your real money or you're really flying that plane Mm -hmm. you're not really going to learn I mean it's going to be you're gonna take more chances and different things, and so when you really have skin in the game,
1: it's, it's different. Yeah, it's very, very different. It's very different, and, and I'm gonna tell you, it, it's so funny that <clears throat> when I was making a film by committee with you know financiers and stuff, and I would say, I, you know, I really believe that we should have this in the film and and this, and it would help, and I would give out all these great ideas, but it was coming from a creative standpoint, right? and at that time I hadn't really learned about the marketable elements like why this film needed to be made and why does it need to be made this way those were the things I didn't understand or I should say I applied all of those questions to the creative part of it and not the distribution part of it and I had all these ideas and it was like oh but if if someone had those ideas today and they were asking me about making a movie I would tell them to stop just stop what you're doing right now I'm going to explain to you why that's not the conversation you should have right now right now you should be defining who is this film for and don't say yourself don't say yourself unless you know a lot of people like you and you know how to reach them (laughs) don't say that figure out who your audience is for this movie because if you know who your audience is you'll know what's important to them and you'll know if what you're talking about is important at all especially if you have to spend money because every idea you come up with all I hear is a cash register that's all I hear because it's going to cost money in order to do it so just make sure that it benefits the film somehow financially and if you've got enough marketable element sure be free go off and do you know whatever you know in mid-sentence make a wormhole open and guy gets sucked in and a, you know whatever I don't know whatever it is you're thinking about doing just make sure that you've done the homework up front to define your audience because that's ultimately what's going to matter
0: are you able to know the exact moment like let's say a film is paused and rewatched, or where people drop off with your movies Do you know it to that much the analytics are that strong for you
1: yes and no Uh, you know it through amazon you don't know it through the others and that's only because you're going through an aggregator that aggregator has that information but they typically don't share that information but uh, if it's if it's if it's amazon prime you can definitely see where people are falling off (laughs) and 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 you know, you'll sometimes rack your brain wondering why 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 at this moment and you go back and you look at you can't see it but there's there are things where people just they fall off for whatever reason but yeah you can see it you can see it I, I think in all honestly that's how I don't I don't know if this is bad to talk about or not but with Netflix people have started to become a little bit disenchanted with the content sometimes right and they always say it just seems like like there's no real connection and da-da-da-da-da. and I said well there may be a reason for that because they can see the analytics and they can see when something drops off maybe they think they know why and they go back and they look and they're like oh I see because yeah there was before that this brunette was in it and she walked through and then she left the scene and then people stopped caring so that's what we need we need more brunettes or we need more hers or whatever that's what it was they don't know but they think they know because they have they have the analytics and they're looking at it and trying to dissect it and figure out what any of it means and they're doing it to such a granular level that uh, it's got to be maddening but I think that's what they're doing I think they're using that same that same stuff to try to figure out how to make movies that keep people engaged more because ultimately that's why it exists is for you to see and for you to know that people are falling off
0: do you think making a successful independent film is like winning the lottery
1: it depends on your definition of success I mean if your definition of success is you made a movie for 10 grand and it made 10 million that's definitely a lottery ticket I don't think that there's any way that person planned to do that Um, but my definition of success is how much closer did I get to the vision that was in my head when I was making the movie how much closer did I get did I get closer this time than I did last time because that's a success for me at one one day I want to be able to look at a film and say I got exactly what was in my head because I you know pleasing this guy or this lady whatever like that that's not really what I'm making films for what I'm making films for is to to get closer and closer to the movies that are in my head I want to I want to I want to get all the stuff that's in here on a page and from a page on the screen and do it in such a way where I didn't compromise too much you know I didn't compromise too much um if you know if your success is who you got to be in the movie or who who saw your movie and you know reached out to you I think uh, you know Quentin Tarantino was trying to make Reservoir Dogs as a short film and his success is that he made it to I want to say he said he made it to Harvey Keitel or somebody and that person was like are you crazy this should be a feature you know that's a success You know, you were going to make something small, and then it became huge. That could be a success. It it all depends on what your definition of success is.
0: So that vision, it sounds like, has always been there because when you went to that one investor who said, "Here are my notes, Mm -hmm. and it's my way, or we don't make this thing." Mm -hmm. You knew that. No, it. I I really want what was in my head to be on that screen. This isn't going to work for me.
1: Well, I would say it wasn't. As strong back then the only thing I knew was that his notes or his new scenes didn't fit the film it just didn't fit the film like to to give you an example there's a there's people go walking off to go look for this guy and he wrote in a scene where one of the characters lady pulls up in a in a jeep and they're like oh how'd you go back and get the jeep and she's like well my father used to race you know jeeps back in the day through the desert and like what does that have to do with anything it was just (laughs) it was the most useless piece of piece of backstory and why would they have a vehicle if they had a vehicle then they could just leave like it was just it opened the thing for like why it doesn't make sense in this film and that was the reason why I didn't want it in the film not because it wasn't part of my vision but because it just didn't fit in the film and none of the things that he wrote fit in the film now I would say if if someone comes to me and they can give me very sound advice I had it on the previous film where somebody came to me and they said I just I don't really get this and then we talked about it and I realized wow from a really objective sense your idea does work better than my idea you know and so we we took that idea and incorporated it into the film so I'm not so much about um being so vain as to say my way is the only way but I believe there should be one voice that one voice should ring very clear throughout the film and along the way because it's a collaborative process there'll be times when someone will have advice for you that really makes that moment way more honest than the one you created and you have to take that advice as the voice you know that that advice is good sound advice but it can't just be shoved into the film because this guy said so because it can really take people out of the film
0: how many screenplays have you written
1: I have lost count (laughs) I have lost count Um, more than 50 more than 50 I can say that
0: feature screenplays or a mixture of shorts and features
1: Um, no those are those would be all features mixture of features mixture of pilots you know
0: when did you write your first feature screenplay
1: maybe about 18 19 and it was (laughs) it was called (laughs) Autacious was the name of it And nobody understood like what is this and I had to explain what autatious meant and uh, but it was a vampire script yeah
0: oh okay and you were in Georgia at the time I was
1: in Georgia yeah okay and and I I think at that time I hadn't learned the importance of of titles you know titles have to be strong and understandable and have sometimes a couple of different meanings you know they can't just be self-indulgent you know and uh, everything I wrote had some weird thing that I learned, um, but that was by far the weirdest title I think I came up with, which was "Autacious."
0: What does it actually mean?
1: To live vicariously through someone or something like a parasite.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Codependency. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: And that's really what it was about about this vampire needing this guy to come to fruition you know to come to be
0: what was your writing process like on that first screenplay
1: making sure uh, that the names were indented properly and you know making sure spacing was appropriate and the proper font was being used I was it was so much still a learning process of just what went into writing a a screenplay Um, from a formatting standpoint not a story structure standpoint so at that point I hadn't even gotten into really into the craft it was still very much just how do I make this look professional so
0: how long did it take you to finish that screenplay
1: oh five days
0: oh wow okay
1: five days in the beginning I wrote screenplays in a week or less in a week or two, because I didn't know what I didn't know like once you understand what the craft really is and how you how you get how you move an audience the way you need to move them how do you get out information without it being very convoluted or heavy-handed how do you how do you get information across both in text and subtext like once you start getting into that and story structure it's it, it complicates things and there's no way that you're writing a script in a week and if you do and it reads very well I'm I'm impressed I'm impressed because it's a lot of work that goes into it just in terms of just outlining takes me about a week or or more just outlining and just to understand what's going on in a very like one page kind of way it takes a while so back then I didn't know that so you when you don't know what you don't know you just you plow right through it, and you're like, "I'm done." And you drop it on the desk, and and for some reason, I think I think it's all because the industry was so new to Georgia in the in the late '90s, you know, early 2000s, like late '90s, really. And that's where I really started to you know get a lot of work, and I'm turning in stuff. That agent, I don't, I, I knew that he'd certainly represented other writers, and. But I don't I don't think he ever represented anybody who was successful because there's no way you could if you were receiving those kind of screenplays and just be like whoa <laughs> whoa that's awesome it's there was no structure I look back sometimes on some of the things I've written like what was I thinking and it's just because you you didn't know you don't know what you don't know and so you're you're constantly learning every time and especially when you seek knowledge and you you don't have that vanity to believe that you're the best at something I never believe that I'm the best at anything other than being me that that's really it and I'm even sometimes struggling with that right so so I'm constantly looking at ways to improve and and as I began to understand story structure and stuff of that my stories got better but it took a while for me to get to the place where I am now where I feel I feel as though I'm creating very um, complete stories you know where you don't feel at the end like what no I'm just missing something I just can't figure out what it is you know I feel like my stories are very complete now I feel they tell a complete story and all the arcs are completed and they're completed skillfully I'm always just looking to figure out how to write a better script the next time. How do I how do I write a better script the next time? And then I start okay I did this last time. What do I improve? what didn't I know that I know now? And you know and that's how you continue to grow. But back then, scripting a week was nothing.
0: Do you think it would have helped if you had this delusion where you thought your thing was the greatest or your writing was the greatest? You know how some people they are able to convince everybody to that somehow
2: I don't know I
1: know know people like that I know people like that and and don't get me wrong I don't mean I know people like that who don't work I know people like that who are working and some of the conversations I've heard have been hilarious because this person has I think in the arts because it is it is so much it is so personal even if it's supposed to be business it's really personal you create something it came from you you birthed it right and then you hear somebody look at two pages and go that's garbage what else you got it, you you either have to be able to accept it and say that's not for them or you become calloused and you become uh, you develop a sense of an inflated ego and I think that if you if you develop the inflated ego which I think is the go-to you you start stunting your growth as a matter of fact I'd venture to say you start regressing because when the going gets tough you're going to fall back on the things you know and you've never bothered to learn anything new you're just going to fall back on the things that you think have worked and I see that a lot in the industry I don't think that's helpful at all I think I think it's to your detriment and and when I say detriment I don't mean detriment in terms of of your your marketability I I mean in terms of your true ability to grow and become your best you I think it's I think it's uh, it's detrimental
0: with Autacious, did you ever try to sell it
1: yes sadly (laughs) the the agent did try to sell it and you know he tried very hard and I don't blame anybody from not for not buying it as a matter of fact I have told this to uh, everyone including my mom who thinks I'm the absolute best I told my mom I'm absolutely over the moon that nobody took me seriously in the beginning because if they had And I had made any of the number of screenplays that I had written in the in the past in my in the very beginning they would have laughed me out of here and I would have never gotten another job I think I would have never reached a point where I felt as though I could take you know my career into my own hands I never would have gotten there because I think at that age if that happens to you you're done I think you're done if somebody if somebody cuts your legs off at 20. I think your legs are just gone I think you don't have the stomach for it I see too many people that come to LA and they think they're going to be and then they get their legs cut out from under them and they go back to where they came from and they are no longer interested in the business at all so I'm very fortunate that nobody took me serious except that one agent (laughs) very serious I mean I think everything happened exactly how it was supposed to I on the one assignment that I was sent out on and taken seriously and it was through a sample not from me writing anything for that specific pilot it was just from a sample of my writing in general and that's how I was on you know, uh, young americans but if it ha- can you imagine if I if they had a- wanted a submission like a tv show I've written and I submitted something and was like yeah here take a look at this oh, get out of here that's what would have happened it was too green I didn't know enough so
0: can you take us all the way through your writing process
1: <laughs> um, it's changed a lot before I think my writing process was more I had an idea and then I wanted to take a really good look at the two main characters and then branch off from there with and I would always write like random scenes like these are the must you know, have scenes in the script because that's what ultimately made me think about the 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 story I carried that with me for a while but now it's not so much that and it's because I've I've made enough films where I know what goes into making one and just starting at the writing standpoint so now I only write stories that wake me up in the middle of the night and make me go grab my laptop if it doesn't make me do that I don't write it if there's something that happens and I'm like you know what that's it I I gotta sit down I gotta nail this and the reason is because you know, as we've spoken about before that passion if if what you have in here isn't it, it doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night with, for this project then I don't know how possible it is like you're gonna have to fight so hard to make it to the end so for me it starts with does this thing wake me up in the middle of the night is this the only thing I can think about right now and if it is the only thing I can think about what am I thinking about right now why do I want to write this what is it saying about me and I start with that and then what I do is ultimately something is going on around me that's making me feel this way and oftentimes it's music so then that song is on repeat 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 I'm writing a a story right now called uh, moon and the stars and it's a story about love but not romantic love I mean there's romantic love in it but it's it's more about the real concept of love like when you really love someone what you're willing to do for them what does it really mean for you to really love someone and uh, believe it or not the I I can't get this story out of my head and I'm already we've already set it up to start production in 2022 the song that I have on repeat is uh, what is the guy's name Uh, weekend and his song save your tears I don't know if you've heard that song but I just have it on repeat and I just write and I write and I write and I'm just so obsessed with the story I'm so obsessed with the character's journey and at every time I stop because I always say you know find the perfect scene and stop and then when I stop I go back and I think about all the technical stuff you know and I start to make notes for myself okay when you go back to rewrite make sure you think about this and think about this and think about this and then when I sit down the next day to write it that song goes on and by the way I, I don't know if this is a thing for every song but on YouTube you can search the song and loop and then it'll come up with somebody who's made like a two-hour loop of the same song over and over and over and I just hit play and I just and I, just, and I know what the objective is for every scene so I sit down, I'm looking through my notes and I'm like, okay, this is my objective for today. I need to do this for these previous scenes and then the new scenes have to be about this. It has to be a point to every scene. I can't just sit down like I did before and just write a scene and hopefully some way find some sort of connect, you know, some kind of connective tissue for the rest of the story. I have to know the point of the scene and who's making the point and why is this person the best person to make this point? Or why is this event, the the event that needs to happen now? You know and, I, and I, that's how I kind of structure each scene but I go back and make sure it fits the story as a whole and I just do that all the way through mm-hmm.
0: when you say that you you what if it wakes you up in the middle of the night are you already up for something else and then you're like you know what this one part I've just got to write this down or how does that work if it let's say it's two in the morning on a Tuesday
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you just happen to wake up what's mm-hmm. your process are you going to a laptop
1: it all depends it all depends uh if I am trying to not wake up the cat or my (laughs) wife you know then it's going to be going into the into the living room where you know my office is and you know sitting down at the computer and just you know but then there'll be times where maybe I get hit with inspiration at 6 a.m 6 a.m and the sun's probably starting to come up it's okay if I grab the laptop and you know from the bed you know so I'll do it that way but but usually I, I feel something, and I have to get up, and I have to write, and I have to complete this script, you know. And, and it happens with it only happens when now because I think I've I've allowed myself to surrender to whatever that that thing is inside you, that intuition that tells you now is the time. I think that someone someone said a while back where you know writing is a profession and you have to sit down at the keyboard at a certain time and then you get up from that computer at a certain time because it's your job to write it's your career and you're professional that's okay I I, I get that I get that but if you are a person who you have multiple films in various stages of production maybe nine to five isn't something I can do because I'm still editing this one I'm still handling the promotional stuff for this one I'm doing interviews over here for that one I can't just sit at a computer from nine to five right so I write when the inspiration hits me and oftentimes it is in the middle of the night it's it's in that moment where you you, you kind of wake up or you're about to go to sleep that little that little area I don't know what it is about that time but it's like oh there it is and then you just and you punch, you know, you you sit there and you punch the keypad until you get it out of your system. You purge it out of your system, and you go back and you you read it and you make sure you got everything. Okay, I get everything. Okay, cool. Let me write my notes, and that's just my notes for what to do when I come back to it. And how does it tie back into the rest of the story? Just making sure that it stays fresh because when you get that feeling, and you put it on paper, you sometimes forget certain details. So you make sure I make sure I want to write it down, and then I go back but yeah I believe that you you have to surrender to that that urge that desire to get up right now because you 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 feel that this needs to be on the page at this moment I don't believe that's something you can force my best writing has been when I felt that urge
0: are you sensitive to the moon I don't know oh okay because you said it's called moon and stars or whatever so oh I'm oh it's watching. moon
1: m-u-n-e and stars oh. s-t-a-r-r-s
0: okay and
1: okay. Uh, <laughs> it's so a, it's really
0: affecting you or something
1: yeah no no, or no no it's it's funny it's it's, uh, it's a story that when I describe it people go well where's the love story but it, it's it's a story about this um, 1842 um, this child sixty six six years old six-year-old prodigy from beijing and she's taken through a portal by this guy named igun and the order of fenu and they take her to a place where uh, love wilts and hope goes to die and they take her here and then the story picks up in this day and age and there's a guy who's going through a breakup and he's trying desperately to get back with his fiance and he's been having these visions since he was a kid of you know various catastrophes and this one girl is always in his dreams and one day when he's just at his bottom the portal opens up and she comes through and she tells him that he's the only like the ego and in the order for new are coming to basically destroy life as we know it and you are the only hope and the guy who's had no desire to do anything in his life other than be with this woman over here um, now has a new mission in life and ultimately the woman that he is in love with who just doesn't want to be with him right now she's also enlisted to help him in this fight to save the universe and throughout all of it what he has to learn is what what is love truly because love he thought was showing someone how much you want to be with them so they'll want to be with you but truly it's it's having enough Love for this person to only want the best for them, even if the best for them isn't you. You know, that's all you want is you want to see the best for this person. And that's the lesson that he's trying to learn throughout this movie. And that's ultimately the lesson that helps him uh, to be successful at saving the world and the universe. Wow. But in all of that, that just came from. I don't know what it was it something happened and it just made me evaluate love and what we think of it as as people even healthy people like what we think about love and I was just like man so many people have it so backwards so backwards they or they love a person because of how the person makes them feel and it's like that's not love that's it's, you know, it's something <laughs> but, but it ain't love. Um, and that's that's what really wakes me up is is, you know whenever I find some other example of it and I'm like oh why isn't that in the script and then it's like oh and then this person does this and this event happens and I'm just constantly jumping up in the middle of the night or early morning and plugging in more pages and it's all coming from a place of of uh, passion but also truth and and honesty which I believe truth and honesty are two very different things but um, You know, it's coming from a place of truth and a place of honesty and and uh, building this story and those are the stories that I'm trying to tell now versus how I used to tell stories I used to tell stories it was very stream of consciousness and it was whatever it was supposed to be and then it was done and now I put more thought into making sure the stories are just honest they're coming from an honest place even if you don't agree with the message even if you don't agree with the characters it's coming from a place of honesty
0: Yeah, I was wondering what what is the difference between writing honesty and writing truth in your screenplay?
1: Um, I think truth is a fact honesty is the feeling I think honesty is your intent okay if you I've met many people who are super honest but their facts are so screwed up (laughs) that is not the truth that is not what happened but you can tell a person truth and not be honest also you can tell facts and omit certain things that don't fit your narrative and that's being dishonest yet you're still being truthful. Okay. So,
0: which would you rather have in a story, truth or honesty?
1: <sighs> honesty. I think. I think honesty in a story is is better than the truth. But I I aspire to have both.
0: What has to happen in the first ten minutes of a horror screenplay?
1: I think it depends on the genre and what you're trying to accomplish but I think certainly there should be something that happens in that first 10 minutes that makes an audience realize holy crap I'm in for a ride something has to happen in that first 10 minutes that gives you that feeling and if that doesn't happen I I, I will oftentimes wonder what we are waiting on that's just like some a friend of mine he he gets on to me because he, he's way bigger film and tv buff than I am and he always says to me like oh you stop watching a tv show too soon it, it got really good on the fifth episode and I'm like then why did they wait until the fifth episode do it from the beginning I do this for a living you can do it <laughs> do it from the beginning I think it works the same way with with horror films If in the first 10 minutes you've you've not told the audience what kind of ride they're on then you in my book you haven't succeeded in my book you're setting yourself up to fail so in the first 10 minutes give them something give them something to realize holy crap something's about to go down
0: so it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a gory scene it's just maybe a sense of mystery a sense of something ominous that's looming
1: yeah I just I mean give them something. that's why I say it depends on the, on the type of film that it is because there can be it can be a film that is going to make you feel so uncomfortable so they give you something at the beginning to let you know like what's happening or what the stakes are or something something that really pulls you in and, and lets you know like I really need to, to keep watching this film if you haven't given them the hook like what's going to pull them in I don't I don't know what you're doing really and that goes really not even just for for horror films but films in general I think you should give somebody some indication of of what kind of ride they're on is it going to be the the Disney teacups that spin around is it going to be you know space mountain what kind of ride are we on you know
0: so with 70s and 80s horror you think we took our time really making it a little more eerie a little more suspenseful
1: I think People cared more. There is, there's this thing that happens when you shoot film, where everybody goes, "Hey, this is serious," you know. And I feel that's lost now. I feel like people say, "You know, if we don't get it right, we'll get it again. We'll do it again, and we'll do it again, and we'll do it again." Nobody takes it really as serious. But even right now, if you tell somebody we're shooting 35 millimeter film, and you show up and you plop down the film camera, everybody goes, "Hey, hey, this is serious." and everybody starts taking it away more I don't know what it is about a film camera that makes everything more serious but it does and I think back then that was all you had you only had film it was just what kind of film you're going to shoot with but you only had film and so everybody took everything very serious and, and then too if you were a small production you had a limited amount of film most of the time you were shooting with a bunch of short ends whatever it was very serious And it was very well thought out and nothing was shot in an extraneous sense nothing was shot just in case everything was shot with a purpose and uh, you know I I think we're missing that today
0: is that why you love the 80s horror genre oh
1: I love it for so many reasons but that's one of them that's one of them Um, I certainly I I felt there was a magic in the 80s you know I, I felt I mean it came in at the late 70s as well but but there was just a certain magic with the 80s and the way the films entertained while still taking it all very seriously and and still really focusing on on the creative and technical aspects but just really putting that production value out there making it feel magical making it feel special Um, I I feel like that's that's something that I I've carried with me in, in in all of my films trying to make something special always even when it's a shoestring budget I try to find some sort of way are there five 80s horror films
0: or late 70s horror films that you think every horror filmmaker should watch like <laughs> you know Salem's Lot or or you know just any of these Stephen King
1: films um, I mean I my favorite is one that you know when people hear it they kind of go what is that but uh, evil dead trap I think everybody should see that I want to say it was I don't know when that one came out I know it was in the mid to late 80s and it is a completely insane horror film from Japan and it was at a time when those movies were banned especially ones that were this that depicted violence and gore to this extent I mean this guy went hardcore, okay and I remember seeing that in where did I see that film I don't even know where I saw it it's such such a rare film I forget where I saw it but I fell in love with it immediately and I've watched it I don't know how many times I had to buy it and the only way you could buy it in the U.S. was part of a a big pack of films where it was evil dead trap because that's the only one I really really watch and then it was another one called like entrails of a virgin oh yeah yeah Um, it's just they're so bizarre but yet you could tell when the film is made it's made with love this guy loved the genre he loved this was before gore gross out was a thing before you know gore it was you know people think about like the mutilator that movie and which not a great movie but the thing about it was was you know it, it had some decent gore and the positions that they put people in, even when it didn't show it, when it was just implied, you were like, ah, you know. Um, but nobody had taken it to the extent that this guy did, you know. I think his name is was is it Toshi Toshiharu Ikeda is his name, and uh, the, the visuals of that movie are just so disturbing. Um, but I, I look at that film as being my top horror film. Uh, ones that influenced me yes now if you start getting into others that people should see do you mean like top horror top just films in general
0: top horror just because it just seemed like there was a creepiness factor that really took time to build yeah and and I I really love that of the that Mm. era not so much the gore yeah
1: this one had this one had the gore came in much later But it did have the the creepy effect speaking of evil dead trap it did it if you haven't seen it please see it it's I endorse this film okay (laughs) my name is Jostin. yes I approve (laughs) this message Um, now if you're if you're moving away from that you have to like right next to that put Halloween the original Halloween now that one is not 80s that one's late 70s I think that's like 78 or 79 Um, but that's what I meant by late 70s early 80s you know that time period so I would definitely put Halloween on that list I think they they got busy quick they let you know let, they let you know what type of movie you were in uh, they they had a summer camp feel but in someone's house which was pretty easy I mean pretty interesting I I really love that about the film um, I think he took his time and he didn't try to rush anything in the film but you understood in that first 10 minutes what kind of movie you were watching it wasn't a mystery it wasn't a mystery um, I think once you once you leave that one I want to I want to stay more in the more accessible range so I would say if I if I'm going with what's more accessible I would then lean towards your uh, your hellraisers I think hellraiser was very creative for its time um, I don't think anybody really kind of got into that aspect yet of making your making who would normally be a villain kind of an anti-hero so I thought that was pretty cool that was pretty clever um, and from there I jump into to your your Jason's and your Freddy Krueger's what? Yeah.
0: what about the use and I don't know if this would be horror tropes but you know, let's say the the late night phone call mm-hmm. and no one's there yeah like w- what are some of the things that are just tried and true that they always work it doesn't matter
1: what year this is just it, it just builds an intrigue um, I think that shot from behind when a person is walking through a house and the camera is drifting behind them and they stop and the camera's slowly getting closer <laughs> okay because you're like oh my god what's gonna happen you know I think that always works and it never gets old and nobody ever says why? Well, you know they, uh, that's tired nobody ever says that because it's just the movement of a camera I think once you get into actions that's where it gets you know kind of tropey I think when you get into the late night phone call, I think when you get into the um, oh my gosh it's so hot let me take my clothes off <laughs> and then you see the hand reach in and take the clothes away and it's like oh that's not the killer that's their friend you know it's just like oh come on you know like a lot of those things I, I think they get really tropey but I think the the camera tricks are the things that don't get old I don't like the jumpy things I don't really like those so much those are boring to me mainly because I don't jump but um, I, I like to be creeped out. I like to end a movie and, and like, oh, should I turn off the light? You know? And I want that feeling, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I think the whole camera moving behind someone, I love Rosemary's baby when the camera kind of shifts a little and you're constantly thinking something's about to happen to her just because the camera moved a little. I like little subtle things like that. I think those are still very effective they'll never go away
0: should something scary happen on page one of a horror film or is it better to wait a little bit
1: if it fits the story it's all about what fits the story and what story you're trying to tell if um, if you get right to it on page one hey bravo I hope that you don't take your foot off the gas because now you've built up expectation
0: Because I think you said in the last question that Halloween they let you know fairly quickly Mm -hmm. what was going on
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is that something that did they maintain it it's been a while sorry so
1: oh yeah but but mainly because Halloween wasn't it wasn't a story about a guy in a mask who was just killing people at random like that wasn't the story Um, it was a story of evil and evil started young and this kid was full of evil and so as he when he grew up and he came home it was like what is this guy gonna do now you know and he was stalking jamie lee's curtis character and you always knew it was that it was that that sense of it did you ever see uh, what was that movie uh it follows and it was you know the girl has sex with the guy and then the evil spirit starts following her and if it catches her it'll kill her that sort of thing right so the thing about it was it moved slow but it was always present and it was always closing in so even if it was far behind you knew you had to stay that much ahead of it right you knew in this movie Jamie Lee Curtis didn't know only the audience knew that he was closing in on her, and he was getting closer and closer and closer, and that's where the, the dread came from. That's why, in the beginning of the film, when we see him as a kid and we see him like he's actually going about murdering, you know, his sister and the sister's boyfriend and all that stuff, um, it was the buildup of this evil that was inside this kid, and he slowly worked his way up to that in those first ten minutes, right? and then he grew up and now you're watching it play out as an adult. So he he built he set the tone for what the rest of the film was going to be and he didn't really let up. All he did was give you someone to care about in Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode. He gave you somebody to care about. And then he said, "Now watch me butcher her." And then you were like, "You were so worried for her. You were like, "Please, run. Hide. he's right there, you know." And I think he did that very, very well
0: sure and it would be the same I guess in the exorcist as well even though the character wasn't stalking her it was inside of her it was inside and she of her. couldn't she couldn't get it out mm-hmm. and she couldn't stop it
1: yeah right? you set the tone very early with that one I mean they set an eerie tone uh, when they were digging up they're excavating the thing and it was it just felt weird the musical cues the, the zooms all of it felt weird all of it felt very very weird and they kept that feeling throughout it just kept you off balance kept you really off balance it made your skin crawl a little bit
0: right yeah it was great (laughs) how often have you read a screenplay where nothing happens in the first 10 minutes no scares nothing
1: all too often all too often Um, I think that because the software now can format things for you And everybody learns about final draft or or movie magic or whatever they they learn about these these different programs it's easy to make your screenplay look professional it's only when you start to read it do you do you understand the the level of craft that they're at right now right and in certain levels of craft there's always that oh we're building to something great we're building to something great and that's at a certain level right? and they may be really you know, really good at crafting a story and dialogue and things may seem okay but if nothing is happening and nothing is happening by page 10 nothing is happening by page 15 by page 20 when is something going to happen I do I do read a lot of scripts where I wonder that or I wonder what is the point what is the point what are you trying to say even if you have nothing to say what is the point of the film who's your hero what is this person going through how does going through this change them how does going through this and them changing help them deal with the true protagonist antagonist all those things all those questions they aren't answered because they aren't at that level yet you know so you're going to get a mismatch but for the most part I would say out of if I read 10 screenplays something happens by page 10 in one of them depending upon which week it is (laughs) not every time does something happen not all the time does it sometimes it might be one of the 20 screenplays
0: what if someone says well I want to take my time with the suspense I mean if you you look back at the stepford wives and I realize that's not really horror it's more like thriller Mm -hmm. It was a long intro to them coming to this new neighborhood and seeing these wives and and she's kind of confused about what's going I mean it Mm -hmm. took its time
1: yeah but the thing about it is, is it establishes its tone very quickly and I feel like that's another thing that's missing because so many people haven't found their voice how they tell a story right because your story may change depending upon Whatever genre you've decided to write today, whatever got into you, like this love story that I want that I'm writing right now, Moon and the Stars. It's it's a it's people will hear me say it's a love story and they think oh romantic drama and I'm like actually no it's a sci-fi <laughs> it's, a, it's a sci-fi these people are uh, interstellar travelers, interdimensional travelers, time travelers, and they can do this and they can do that and they're like but then where's the love portion? And I'm like well the love portion's here it is but it's a completely different thing than I've ever written Want and one is a very completely different story than I've ever written I think that people classify that one as a suspense drama or drama thriller or something like that so and that's very different than the horror that I've directed and even within the horror I've directed many different types of horror so no matter what the genre is that you're writing in you have to at some point have developed your voice and how 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 a person recognizes that it's your film right and then once you start to develop your voice I think it'll help you drastically with maintaining tone of a film because your voice is your voice and it's how you tell a story and as long as you understand the tone of your own film you can keep that modulated all the way through and you can set that at the very beginning and once you set that tone, like this is where this story takes place in this type of world, you start that from page one. You start it from page one. So yes, it, nothing may happen in terms of someone getting murdered or whatever. You may not get the horror in the because it may not be a horror. Maybe it's just a movie that's meant to make you squirm and make you uncomfortable. Maybe that's what it is. Well, maybe the story is speaking to um, like with once and one. it was about a guy who didn't even know himself anymore so if he doesn't know himself he doesn't even recognize himself in certain situations and if you tell him he's done something wrong he's relying on your truth to tell him he's done something wrong because he doesn't even know right and wrong of himself anymore and I show that from page one if you can't even recognize who you are and what you do in the situation when someone tells you to make it better how can you he's like how do I how do I do it and the person has to tell him I think that's something you can figure out And he's like I don't don't think I can he really can't it sets a tone for the film nobody died you know nobody was hunted down in the first 10 pages I just set the tone for for what the story is and I think that that's you know once you it takes a while before you get to that level of understanding of of what you're doing and then I think now you've gotten to a point where technically you're proficient you know but you still have so much more like so many more levels to climb you know
0: do you think it's better that someone rushes into a more of a horrific scene or takes their time like which which is more detrimental to a horror script too long to get into the action or too fast
1: I mean again I I think it depends on the the point of the story <clears throat> I think that Scream, which is one of my faves from the 90s, it in the first film it kind of meanders, right? At first. In the first like minute or two, she picks up the phone, she's talking to the guy and making popcorn. Everything seems fine. It seems very casual. It's not until the first kind of slip up that she doesn't hear that we heard as the audience that we realize, wait a minute and then you start to you start to sit forward right the story is about a guy calls you on the phone he stabs you to death we didn't see that until like it came in probably around the five minute mark is when we started to be concerned right so in that first five minutes it's like are we just following this lady and if you notice that movie is really for the longest time it's a single shot it's a single shot she picks up the phone they pull away from the phone they're following her around into the kitchen it's a single shot for a lot of it and even when they abandon it they pick it up on another another one -er and they're walking around and it's masterfully done but it's all about the pacing and the tone and it slowly becomes more menacing and once it becomes menacing it never lets up
0: and so again, less about dialogue and more about camera movement.
1: Camera movement and just really understanding tone. I think you know lighting plays an incredible cinematography in general plays an incredible uh, role in creating tone. Your cinematography, your editing, post production sound, musical cues, sound effect—all that stuff plays a huge role in it. But when you're reading it on the page, when you're on the page it has something has to set the tone for me to understand why I should care and a lot of the times I ask why should I care very early I'll ask that on page sometimes too I'll ask why should I care now something may not happen until page three or page four but I'll be asking myself why do I care when I watch movies at home I'll turn them on I'll watch for a little bit but then I'll turn it because there's so much content that's available right now why Why would I waste time I treat a movie that I'm watching just like I would a script that I'm reading I start watching it and if it's not catching my attention I have to abandon I have to abandon it
0: Yeah, I think it was harder before because there was so little you couldn't check a phone mm-hmm. you couldn't have one window open and be over here you Correct. had to, you were just like all right I'll, I'll let it play you know? mm-hmm. and sometimes that worked with advantage because then it grew on you but now you have to catch people and that's why I was asking if you knew the analytics of when people dropped out or if people rewound a scene or something
1: yeah I I don't have it like in terms of uh, analytics from from amazon I don't I don't have it when someone maybe rewinds it or something I don't have that but I do know I can tell the progression like people are dropping out dropping out dropping out dropping out oh stabilized and then people watched it all the way through here and then it dropped out. Like I can tell that, you know, but I can't really tell did they pause it and then go do something and come back? Like I can't tell those sort of things or did they rewind? You can't really see that. But the the thing about it is is that I usually will start my films and I try to get them to a point where you don't feel there is a place to jump off because something's always building to something else and one scene leads into the the next very naturally so I'm constantly trying to do that so it doesn't feel like there's a place to really drop off or you'll feel like you're missing something because something just happened so now I have to see how that affects the next thing and I'm constantly trying to to keep that momentum going and I think that that's what you you have to do or what you should aspire to do when you're doing anything something it always has to be building towards something or what else are we doing what are, why why would I be investing my time if if nothing in your script is investing towards something bigger
0: so a bigger character goal or a bigger scare or or something with the antagonist
1: mm-hmm. yeah set up your stakes um, give me a character who's who's interesting that I care about um, even if you don't want to root for them to succeed root for them to not succeed something G- give the audience something to 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 keep them invested and keep them interested and it it does start with having something in the first few pages whether it's tone whether it's an act of whatever that drives the story forward give them something that keeps them watching more importantly something that lets them know what kind of a ride they're on
0: sure because even with hereditary we didn't totally know we just knew something ominous yes was there and it kind of keeps you on the edge and you didn't know what was it though
1: you know? yeah and the great thing about hereditary right now is if if you if we talk about hereditary the first thing we do is we go you know hereditary you know we, we went just thinking about it right but if you if you go back and you think like well what do I remember from the film I remember there was this like little sibling thing with the brother and the sister I remember her head hit that pole and it came off and then I remember he didn't want to like he just parked the car and went into the house. I remember the thing from him in the classroom where his face kind of, you know, went crazy and he slammed his head on the desk and stuff. I remember that. And then I remember all the stuff that happened at the end with him, you know, with the mother and the father bursting into flames and all that stuff and the mom banging her head on. But we're recalling just these few moments. But the fact is. Is that we made it to the end in complete terror because of the tone of the film the tone was set very early and they never let up even when they had moments where it looked like hope was starting to shine in through the window it didn't matter the tone was so dark and ominous and heavy that you just you felt like oh and you felt cold I don't know if about you I felt cold watching it you know it was it was such a weird feeling that you got watching that movie but they kept that tone up throughout the entire film and that's what I mean is it's finding your tone and, and staying with it very early something that makes people care and make them keep watching
0: how much punishment should we put our main character through
1: well I, I think the somebody described it best when they said what you do to make someone what a story is is people chasing a character up a tree and throwing rocks at them while they're trying to climb down that's ultimately what a story is right and so I think that you should put them through as much punishment as they can weather and still realistically want to pursue their goal and still realistically understand the stakes you know uh, one of my favorite shows is The Walking Dead right and there was a period in episode no, oh, in season seven was it seven or eight it may have been season seven and people kind of stopped watching it went like this and mainly it was due to how much punishment they put the main character through he had so much punishment heaped upon him that his only goal was not to receive more punishment that his people would receive no more punishment and this was from a character who had been a, a world beater for six seasons you know. and all of a sudden we're watching him not only be beaten but to just be beaten to a point where the fight is beaten out of him and I think people jumped off because that was the point that the punishment went too far, that was the point where audience was like, "Okay, I'm tapping out. I I can't do it anymore." There was a, there was a, I remember there was an episode where he just stood there, like it was just one locked off shot of him, and he just cried. And the camera went to a wide shot, and he's just completely alone and he's crying. And there's a guy who, you know, he just watched be killed. That was from his community, and the guy turns into a zombie, so it's even worse. Now he's at a freaking after he just. Witness this happen to the guy, and he could do nothing about it. He had to turn around and be the person to, you know, right through the brain to to put him out of his misery. Like, I I think, you know, I still kept watching, of course, because it's one of my favorite shows. But I can understand why people jumped off because at that point, punishment it went too far. So, you know, I, I think it's it's it has to be enough punishment where it does create the wound that we're all looking for him to heal but it can't be so much that it f- it makes him forget the goal the goal was not to re- not to receive more punishment the goal was to keep his people safe and get rid of all threats and now he's not trying to get rid of the threat he's trying to live with the threat and he fears the threat and I think that's too much for audiences to to deal with we have to constantly keep this guy moving forward and working towards his goal while all the time realizing he could probably lose he could probably lose but we'll root for him if he keeps pursuing his goal
0: so it was the fact that we saw the fight beaten out of him
1: Mm -hmm.
0: not the that not him being put through the fight
1: well he there was no fight he was being punished and punished and punished and punished it was it was so have you have you seen this uh season? If you haven't seen season seven, it's it starts with him on his knees, because that's how the season six ended, with him on his knees. So it starts with him on his knees and watching two of his friends, and he could do nothing about it. They're told if you move, we'll kill everybody. But for right now, we're just gonna kill this one guy in front of you all. And they proceed to beat this guy's head in with a baseball bat in front of all his friends. And another guy can't take it anymore. He gets up and hits the bad guy. And the bad guy says, that's gonna cost you. Because now I'm gonna beat another guy head in. And he beats another guy's head in. All the while the leader has to watch this happen and he can do nothing. He starts the season on his knees, watching his friends die and there's nothing he can do. And then for the rest of that season, he's met with even more punishment and more punishment and the threat is always if you don't do what we say and you don't give us what we want we'll show up and kill everybody don't forget that and it's like how many times can you see that and how many times can you see that and the good guy not say that's it we got to come up with a plan his only plan is to make sure there's not more punishment you can't you can't do that to audiences they have to see the fight they have to see the struggle they have to see you trying to win not being complacent with being browbeaten you know
0: would you say the more punishment we put our protagonists
1: through the better the story is going to be to a certain extent yes to a certain extent as long as we don't put them through too much I think that we have to see I mean for, for my stories I, I love to 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 show the person show their wound and then show how they've begun to live with this wound by accepting it as a truth even though it's a false truth and how their world is with that right now this person may not be down on their luck or anything but something has happened and it's, it's told them that this is the way you live life right and there has to be something that forces them on their journey when they start going on their journey they can't win every little battle they gotta lose but they gotta see that you know what but I can see on the other side of it if I just keep going because this these are the stakes and I can't allow myself to lose they have to take enough punishment along the way where you you keep believing in them even if they don't they don't really believe in themselves and then it has to get to a point where it's a soul-crushing defeat like right when they thought they won it's a soul-crushing defeat and you got to watch them pick up the pieces, and you got to fill. You got to. That's when you, you, you know, circle the wagons, and you know you're you're bringing together all the different people that are going to help you build build the character back up, and put them back on their their journey because now they realize this is the worst that it can get, you know. This is the worst that this guy can do to me. But the stakes are still the stakes. I still have to stop this thing from happening, whatever it is, right? So they've absorbed all this punishment and they realize that's the worst that it can get. So this guy cannot hurt me any more than this, only by them succeeding at their goal. So now I'm just gonna go straight after him, straight away. Now there's many different ways of what you can do to get them to stop the bad guy or the bad guy succeeds or whatever, but at this point, that's when the audience is behind them. They receive enough punishment where they have, hopefully, garnet the sympathy of the audience and the audience is behind them. So that when they lead them into this final battle, the audience is right behind them, right on the horse right behind them, like, go, oh, you know, and you're you're watching this person go in and save the day. Now, if you give them too much punishment, I think the audience can bail because they're just, I've seen it happen. They just bail I don't think you can watch a person just lose (laughs) you know I don't think you can watch them just lose they have to have some win somewhere
0: what are ways that a writer can create high stakes for their character
1: Ooh, it's a good question Um, it has to be well first of all it has to be something that relates to their wound right it has to be some kink in their armor where uh This makes it personal for them. It has to be that. That's number one. And because overall, the story is about them overcoming that wound and that somehow tying into this goal of stopping whatever the antagonist is. So, but the stakes have to be high enough where it almost seems insurmountable. You know? So, yeah, I, I believe that, you know, the stakes are very important, but it has to be all relatable. To the character and to the audience
0: okay so if it's something that's too avant-garde we can't understand it but if it's just sort of about the basic needs of living Mm -hmm. safety
1: security then we can relate to it I think it can be almost anything it all depends on who your who your core audience is Um, for just to give you an example for one and one right if you if you watch the film it's it's very easy to sit back and go what I don't really get it but the story is very meta it's it's very meta there's a story happening and then there's a story that the writer is writing but unbeknownst to him they both are the same story okay and in the story that he's trying to write that he's having writer's block with the reason why he can't relate is because he's cut so many pieces of himself away to fit in right to fit in with this life with his wife this new hollywood life he was doing it before when he was trying to do sales he's just trying to fit in with everybody with his friends he keeps cutting off pieces of himself to the point where he doesn't recognize himself anymore okay and he's not honest with himself without honesty and he doesn't know himself he doesn't even know what he wants he's writing a script that he can't he can't finish it it seems convoluted there's all this other stuff going on Inside the story that he's writing is about a guy who's robbing a bank. He wants the money. Then there's this girl that he meets inside of the bank. He starts falling for the girl. There's the police outside. The police are going to make him pay for whatever he does. right? If he wants the girl, he has to give up the money because she doesn't like stealing and all that other kind of stuff. If he takes the money, he loses the girl. And all of that, the police are still outside. How is he going to get past that? In both of these stories it's not even knowing what the guy wants the guy doesn't know what he wants he's all over the place right and what you begin to realize is for the protagonist in the story his wife is really related to the money in the story that's his security he's so secure with his wife because she's on a soap opera she makes lots of money he can be a struggling writer and it doesn't matter so he has that and in the movie that's money that's security right and then he meets this girl named pia and he's completely infatuated by her it's exciting and it's new well that's the girl in the story it's exciting and it's new he's always needed money and security but excitement has taken over does he choose excitement and then of course the woman's husband who's his best friend is the police that's the people who are going to hold him accountable they're gonna. He, he's gonna. He's gonna have to suffer a consequence, whether it's good or bad. He's got to suffer a consequence. That friend is gonna make him pay. He's making him pay the whole movie. When you're watching, you're just like, "Geez." You almost consider the friend to be the bad guy until you realize this guy has a wife, but he's infatuated with this other woman, right? And that's the dance that is going on in this entire film. So. I look at it and I go, you know, the film may be hard to understand. It may be hard to understand uh, uh, how to relate to it and how this relates to you. But for a specific group of people, they'll understand that desire to fit in, and that you don't even know yourself, and that you're driven by what you want in the moment. But do you even really want it? Do you know yourself enough to know you really want it? And I think there is a segment of of audiences that can relate. You know, but then there'll also be a segment that'll say I don't even get any of this and it's because they don't relate to any of it they just don't but that movie's not for them
0: sure or maybe they've seen that in someone close to them mm-hmm. or or they used to be that and then they realize all that's empty mm-hmm. but but I, I see what you mean someone that's really conflicted they want what they want and they're willing to kind of sell their soul for it yeah. So, yeah yeah I think that's a that's a good story to write about Hollywood
1: mm-hmm. it is and it's him he's 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 just in the wind because he doesn't know himself anymore sure he doesn't
0: how long did it take you to write the script
1: I started writing it in probably 2017 2018 I started writing it but it was one of those ones where I just kind of plugged away at it for a little bit at a time and then I got to a point where I said I I don't know where I should take this story and then what happened was I put it aside for a moment and I went off and I did some other work and it was around that time that I realized man you know the reason why I didn't know where to go with the story was because I was trying to stick a Hollywood ending on it and it's funny because that's actually a line in the earlier in the script is that he was saying, you know, he's taking advice from the character P and he says, I, I can't take that advice because it's not a very Hollywood ending. And she tells him, Well, a Hollywood ending all depends on where you stop the story. And so I I I said to myself, I have to be honest in the rest of the screenplay. I have to be honest and I have to make him have real conversations about where he's headed where his relationships are headed where his life is headed he has to have these real conversations now he can't have them the way that we have them but he has to have them and he has to make a decision it can't be ambiguous he has to make a decision and so once I went back into the script with that mandate you know, I was able to wrap it up pretty quickly I was able to wrap it up pretty quickly and pretty honestly and with as much truth as possible
0: did you give the script to many people for feedback? No.
1: No. Um, I, I think feedback is great sometimes. But when it's something that's very it was very new for me to be that honest and that truthful and not try to stick like you know Hollywood stuff into it, Hollywood magic to, to make it magically resolve, I, I didn't want that type of feedback. I wanted I wanted it to exist for what it was
0: so you didn't need to get notes from anybody because you self-financed it mm-hmm. and so you just knew you were but were there any parts that maybe were unclear that you wanted people to see and flesh out for the characters or no you just knew we were going to do it this one way
1: I knew I was going to do it that one way what I did was once I got actors on board who were very very talented and they were very outspoken about their own thoughts on it um, I was able to just have a conversation with them where I said like there are no wrong answers okay but we're just going to sit down and we're going to talk about the script and we're going to talk about the moments and how we can make them honest and very truthful so let's have those conversations and like I said it was very productive because no one was saying but I think it should end this way or I think it should do I established very early on the theme of the movie and where it's headed is not changing how we get there may adjust a little bit but where this train is headed it, it already left the station and it's headed to this destination so we all sat down and we said okay cool in these moments here are things that we can do to make it more truthful and make it feel more honest and that's really what we focused on. So there were some changes along the way, but for the most part, what was on the page was on the screen for the most part. I got I got very very close. I would say I would say I was 75% there. 75% of what I wanted is on the screen, which is a high number for me.
0: What do you tell other screenwriters, filmmakers about being too precious about certain scenes that maybe they just don't totally serve the story?
1: Um, I haven't had to have that conversation however that conversation was had with me and it was had by Eddie Watkins (laughs) he told me he said "Um, your biggest problem is that you're married to everything you do you can't be that way especially if you're not the one financing and directing it you can't be things are going to have to change for whatever reason And you're going to have to be open to making whatever those changes are work and that's what I would tell anybody who's treating it too precious
0: so because you know we all like want certain scenes or some little artifact in the film and it means something to us but the audience might not care Mm -hmm. and and so when people have given you those notes or maybe it was just ed Mm -hmm. are you open to changing them or has it been hard for you
1: to take notes
0: Mm -hmm. and to remove certain things Um,
1: in the past I would say I was probably more open to removing it even if I didn't agree I'd remove it because I want this issue to die and I don't want things to keep carrying over or whatever but once I started to just kind of stand up and say this is this is my film even if you pay for it it's my film because ultimately nobody's going to say you know well I looked at this movie that producer must have been great that's not what they're going to say they're going to say the director and the writer and the cast were great that's what they're going to say and if people know a little bit more about the industry they're going to say the cinematographer was great but what they're not going to say is wow that producer really knows his stuff that just doesn't happen. You know and so what happened is is that we made the film and we always understood what it was supposed to be and then as we got further along people's uh, ego started to get, get involved and even though I would explain I understand that this is great for you but we are at service to the story not to you so the person would relent and so as we got further into editing conversations would come up again well I think we should really add this and I'm like you're serving your own ego you're not really serving the story so no I don't think we should do that and so we would go have a little bit back and forth until I would just say okay you know what just so we can be done with it and then you would cut it and before you know it it was a movie that was granted at two hours and 15 minutes it's a bit long so we we cut it down to about maybe an hour 45 minutes so now it's cut down only thing needs to happen is color and a little bit of sound working and it's ready to be done so I hand it off and ultimately I heard through the grapevine that the film was finished and that it was at an hour and a half that's really weird (laughs) it's really weird something and it was because I have to take accountability and responsibility I handed off the film along with all the footage so that it could have the finishing touches put on it and what ultimately happened was this person decided to put all these scenes back in and remove all these other scenes so that their work would stand out a bit more and it was an ego thing you know and I said you know what I I dropped the ball on that one because I gave that person the ability to do it that was that was my fault and it'll never happen again it'll never happen again um, because that film floats around and people say wow that film Ugh. and I I can't take I can't take credit for the good or the bad because it's not my film it's not and that was because I started in the beginning um, it, we, You know, talked about the TV show 24 and uh, Jack Bauer, you know, and the guy says, Ah, you know, um, y- you've never done anything bad. You've never made a bad decision. You've never just done this one little thing. And he says, No, because once you do that one little thing, it makes it easier to do the second thing and the third thing. And that one thing that I did was that I compromised and I did it just so that the conversation would die. I said, Ah, just, and I gave in a little and a little bit more. And a little bit more. And then eventually the film completely changed. And I said, you know, I, I just won't allow that to happen again. If I do work with someone else, the film that they'll receive to do any type of finishing touches, which by the way, I'll, I'll do them all in house so that when I hand it off, it's a finished film. But let's just say that I had to hand it off, they would only get the film to work with. And that would be it. Because it's my responsibility to make sure that. You know we're honest to the film and what the film is trying to say. We're in service of the film, not to our egos.
0: We had this comment come in on our channel: Mm -hmm. in a horror movie, only the villain character matters. All the other characters are expendable. Most are going to die anyway. What's your reaction to that?
1: I don't think that's true. If if no one matters, they shouldn't be in the film. If it's only about that villain, then he should be yo-yoing or you know doing something else that only requires you know him. I think that you're trying to tell a story, and every character is integral to that story, or they shouldn't be there. Maybe that comes from me working with limited budgets always, and you're constantly saying, you know, like, why is this person here? Does this person need to be here because they're going to impact me? And as far as scheduling, as far as the budget, da 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 and it helps you hone your screenwriting skills better too because there's nothing extraneous about the script so to say at any stage that none of these people matter I think if you're watching the later Friday the 13th movies if you're watching the later Freddy movies or the later Halloweens but if you're watching the ones that they started with you would not say anybody was extraneous in those stories they that's when they were still very creative and they had spent a lot of time working on the script and you know they gave a lot of thought towards it and it was written with love and when you do that when the screenwriter loves those characters there's no way they will be creating people that don't matter there's no way
0: how does a villain in a story reflect the hero
1: um oof if you had asked me this a long time ago Um, now I I say sometimes my villain and my my hero are almost one in the same they have to pursue whatever their goal is with the same amount of passion I think that one person learns lessons and the other person doesn't and that's ultimately what does end the villain and the villain has to reflect whatever it is or I shouldn't say the villain has to reflect it but their goal has to reflect something that the hero is trying to work through so that they can work through there's a catharsis you know, as they go through this journey and get to the end and stop this thing from happening I think that's the way that it should go but I I think that they should both pursue their goals with the same passion and intensity because that's what makes for a great villain I still consider the, the best villain to be Alan Rickman's character in Die Hard I think he is the best villain ever because his goal you know, is is it's the opposite but they're working towards the same thing which is him and John McClane it's just that they're going about it differently but they're both after this their goals with the same amount of passion and intensity and being clever they're both very clever that's the other thing about it like both both of them are trying to one up the other one and get one over on the other and that's what's so compelling about watching that story I think it should be the same with with any movie that you're working on. Whoever is your antagonist should be going after it with the same amount of intensity and passion. They should be a, almost a, a mirror reflection of the of the good guy. If maybe they made all the wrong decisions in the past, maybe they didn't make that fifty one percent that Warren Buffett talks about. Maybe they only made the forty nine percent and they they weren't successful at certain things.
0: Should the antagonist be twice as strong as the hero?
1: no I think that the villain should always have an advantage and most of the time if you if you think about it if you using Alan Rickman's character in in Die Hard um, his advantage was that he already knew what he was trying to accomplish that was his advantage he knew what he was trying to accomplish and because people would say oh well he had the numbers too he had all these guys with guns yeah but they didn't know who they were looking for and they didn't know where he was so that put them put them at a disadvantage the advantage that the good guy I mean the bad guy actually had the villain was that he knew what he was trying to accomplish and John McClane had to figure it out so I, I think you know, I don't think he has to be twice as strong he just needs to be ahead of the game and the good guys playing catch up
0: but you say in the in the end that the antagonist doesn't learn any lessons but the the hero does Mm -hmm. so the the antagonist is just it's just all anger it's all trying to get revenge but the hero
1: somehow learns something yeah the hero has to learn something he really does Uh, the villain I don't think it has to be about anger I there have been many villains that have done things give you an example moon and the stars um, my villain isn't a guy who's really trying to kill everybody as a matter of fact he's trying to save everyone he's just going about it in a really bad way what he started to notice he's been to the edge of the universe and back he's been to the beginning of time and the end and what he's seen is that every civilization every leap every technological leap they make gets them closer and closer to oblivion what drives those technological leaps is hope 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 that things can be better hope that this makes the world a better place hope that this gets us to here and hope that this gets us to there and what we don't account for is what happens when we make those very when we make those mistakes or when somebody takes what we were using for hope and they weaponize it Um, those are the things that don't get accounted for so what his idea is is to create a machine that it shrinks this limbic area in the brain so that hope dies the problem is when hope dies so does ambition so does love so does fear so many other emotions die and what what happens after that is that his project showed that success right it and people had no hope But then what happened is whether it was a day later or a month later people would off themselves and if they didn't off themselves they became something different and it became very much like the order of fanu that that works with him to do these things so his goal is not one that's out of anger it's one that's out of love And you find out that it's to save the people that he still cares about because he's seen what happens in the future so he needs this to work now the good guys know if you do this it's the same as a death sentence because it's a ticking time bomb for people just offing themselves just killing themselves so he's working just as hard to keep this guy from succeeding. So I don't I don't think it has to be anger or hatred or or any of those things. It just has to be a goal that they really believe in, that they are just, they've given everything. There is no plan B, there is only plan A. Both people have a plan A. And what do you do when they're just ah, they're about to collide? You know? That's where the drama comes from. That's where it gets interesting. And if your bad guy was only driven by revenge. I've seen it a million times driven by anger you can beat the anger out of somebody I've seen it happen a million times you know get into a boxing ring and this guy is angry he won't have all that in three rounds because he's going to swing for the fences he'll be exhausted and you can beat the anger out of him and he'll give up because that's all he had was anger so the most compelling stories come from the people who really believe in their goal and they're willing to die for their goal what makes the villain fail is their inability to grow and adapt because adaptation is survival right and the good guy figures it out they when they're beaten in that you know, end of the second act when they're beaten um, they have to pick up the pieces and learn their lesson and they're like I still have the same goal I just got to go about it differently and the, the bad guy thinking that he's won already when he sees the bad guy show up again what does he do the same exact thing he did to win last time and that's why he loses
0: why is evil important in storytelling
1: I think it depends on the definition of evil Um, I think that sometimes people will say evil is like oh they do these horrible things like if somebody takes just as an example and I'm not Defending it all, but let's say they take someone like Hitler, right? And they say, "You see all the horrible things he did, it's evil." I go, "I think he's despicable. I think the atrocities are evil, but true evil is doing it just because. That's true evil. He didn't do it just because. He did it because he believed this, and he believed that, and he believed this." crazy stuff and he was like the only way to do it is to do this to me true evil is something that is is birthed rotten and it has no reason to exist other than to cause you harm true evil is terrifying true evil doesn't need a reason it just doesn't Michael Myers did not need a reason that's what made him so terrifying nothing happened to make him stab his sister and her boyfriend to death nothing happened that's scary. I think you very rarely though see true evil in movies because it's something hard to capture. It's something really hard to capture people that just do things because why not? Those are the things that I think in in reality scare the crap out of me. When you hear about this serial killer who just you ask why did you do this? Why not? That's evil that's terrifying but it's really rarely portrayed very well in films
0: how do you create a powerful and meaningful
1: story I think it first has to be powerful and meaningful to you I I try to now as I write if I'm writing something that I story I just have to tell it has to a lot of the time speak to something maybe that I'm dealing with myself and I get I can work through a lot of it in the script, you know, and I think that's why it wakes me up because it's something that I'm figuring out that I'm working through and I'm working through it with characters um so I think it starts there it has to be important and impactful for you and from there you can begin to shape it so that it's it's something that is easily digestible for somebody who's maybe not experiencing the same things as you or you know they're not going on that same journey with you so you want to make it more relatable so that you know they can certainly see that journey and take that journey with you
0: what if someone asked you to write a screenplay mm-hmm. and you know uh, for hire and it's not a story that necessarily you tap into but mm-hmm. you're being paid well and you say all right i'll do it but you just can't relate to the character, to the story, to the theme, to the tone.
1: Um. <clears throat> funny enough, that just happened, and ultimately, we—long story short—we just couldn't work together. That's just what it was. Oh wow. Okay. The you know the story was just something I, I can't relate to, and the way I would have to be able to tell the story, that other person who was the financier, uh, they didn't. They didn't want the story to go that direction so we were at an impasse and we both had to say I don't think this is going to work for either of us because what you want won't wake me up in the middle of the night that message is not a message that speaks to me it's not a it's a throwaway message and I wouldn't want to create something that and spend months working on something that I don't believe in I just I wouldn't want to do that to myself and I wouldn't want to do that to someone who's paying me the money to do it I just I think it's it's a bad idea so yeah that actually happened to me recently
0: and did you know fairly um, soon into your working with the person that this wasn't going to work this wasn't going to happen
1: I didn't know it early enough I allowed us to go down the road too far and waste a lot of each other's time and <clears throat> I normally don't consider something to be a waste of time if I learn a lesson but I think I learned I think I understood things far sooner and I just let it drag on because I believed at some point he would see what I was saying and as he began to speak with his partners they would see what I was saying but unfortunately much like me he didn't have he did have partners but they were out of the way. They didn't have any influence on the project, so their opinions didn't matter. So we're both people who don't report to anybody. So we both, you know, we had to just shake hands and say it's, it's not going to work.
0: That's fair. Yeah. Um, it's better that you cut your ties then than actually had it made and it wasn't exactly what you felt.
1: Well, I wouldn't have been able to write it. Mm-hmm. I just. I think that when you when you sit down to write something you you understand that it's a journey right and for some people it's not about the it's not about the destination it's just the journey but I'm constantly keeping both in in mind the journey and the destination journey and the destination so I know if this is the destination we agreed to to get to this is the best path to tell the story and if that doesn't work, and I see the alternative is an inferior version to that, then I I have to say I don't I don't think it's going to click. I don't think it's really going to click because that journey won't tell. It won't be honest. It won't be honest. It's 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 forcing something, you know. And um, I I don't want to <laughs> say <laughs> that, but but it's just it, it becomes it becomes like you're just pushing constantly and uh, trying to force something trying to force a circle in a square hole and you shouldn't do that when you're writing especially in the beginning you you shouldn't do that when you're developing the screenplay that's when it's fun and that's when it's breezy and if you can't see the journey in a fun and breezy way then it's time to kind of cut bait don't don't spend so much time working on it for something that's it's not going to be fruitful for you um, in the soul nor from an experience
0: what are your thoughts on creating a meaningful story versus one that's commercial
1: I think it all depends on your goals if your goal is to create something commercial go for it I think that um, there's no shortage of opportunities to create something commercial there's no shortage of it because As you can see that's what's being thrown at most of us all the time something commercial that has mass appeal and I think it's superficial I think it's easy Um, you can take the money and run it's it's what they call it legal bank robbery you know it's if that's your thing I think that for a lot of people who are not uh, for people who are driven by quelling that voice inside that won't really work I think you're always going to have to be making something meaningful whether it's meaningful to you or meaningful to audiences in general because that's how you that's how you you feed that thing inside of you right um, that need to get that that creativity out you're creating creating something that means something to you in that moment if you're constantly if you are a person who desires to make meaningful material and you're constantly having to stuff that down while you make something commercial you're not living your best life you're not living your best life and ultimately that's all we want to do that's all we want to do as artists is live our best life create stuff and get it out there and then create something again and get it out there and for for a great number of people creating something commercial is great you you go out there it takes you maybe a couple weeks of work and It's off, you know, because when it a lot of the times for for, especially for the stuff now that's like your Marvels and you know anything that's Disney related and it's high concept, those guys have a paint by number formula. You could stack all those movies one on top of the other and they'll hit the same beats all the way through, and you know that's good, that's awesome. They know what their audiences want, and those writers have an easy job. They know by this moment this needs to happen, by this moment this needs to happen if that feeds their soul or their bank account I say power to them hopefully it does both hopefully it does both but if you desire to make meaningful content you really have to get that out even if it's if you're a writer it's just writing the script just purging it getting it out of your system and then you turn around and you write something commercial but you have to get it out of your system you have to feed that beast
0: Why is it so hard to make a great movie?
1: Mm. (laughs) That's a good one. I think, one, it depends on your definition of great. I think that so many people are caught up in everybody else said it was great. And I think that's where most movies go wrong. Somebody will tell somebody, Oh, your movie's like this, but with a little bit of that, and they go, I didn't see that, but okay. And then they go back and they start looking at that movie, and they want to polish it now and make it a little bit more like that movie. And it's it's that whole it's that whole like looking at the guy next to you thing, you know, and judging yourself by how far you've gotten ahead of everybody else that are that is your peer or your you know your colleague or whatnot, trying to trying to just get ahead of them, and judging yourself, judging your success by how much more success you've had than them. And that includes making a great movie I consider a great movie to be one where I watched that movie and I couldn't turn it off I couldn't turn it off that's watching it though I couldn't turn it off Um, one of one of my favorite movies uh, is 44 inch chest nobody's seen it Um, well I shouldn't say that let me let me not say nobody's seen it most people in the U.S. haven't seen it Um, but it's called 44 inch chest I love that movie from beginning to end and then I went online one day and I saw the reviews and I'm like I was like what I don't get it this movie was incredible I mean I I couldn't take my eyes off the screen it was so well written Um, every element of of filmmaking was done to the nth degree I, I just didn't understand it right so I don't know if certain people walked away going I guess we didn't make a great movie I felt they made a great movie I felt they made one of the best movies ever I did and it's a small little movie takes place in a flat You know, um, I think it's an incredible movie I think it's a great movie a lot of other people didn't think so but maybe the person who made the movie said that's exactly what I wanted to make because that's how I would feel when I sit down and I watch a film of mine it's all about how much of what was in here made it on the screen and if it made it on the screen if went one, one day when I get to at least 93 percent of whatever I wanted being on the screen I'm going to say that's a great movie that's a great movie that's a successful movie I've made something successful because that's what success means to me that's what a great movie made by me means right And I'm hopeful that that person who made 44 inch chess felt that way because maybe people don't feel that that was a great movie
0: you said it was a foreign film
1: it's it's made in the uk Um, it has uh, ray oh it's going to bother me that I can't remember his name but um,
0: leota no 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 no, not ray leota Uh,
1: he was in he was in uh, um, the the jack nicholson movie when he played the gangster the irish gangster um, with leonardo dicaprio and uh, all those guys I can't remember his name off the top of my head but you've seen him a million times and when you see 44 inch oh, chest oh fines no 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 roy no, no. Fines, no, no it's like I want to say it's like roy I mean ray like I don't know why I want to call it like Cockburn or something like that but I know that's not what it is but it's as soon as you see him you're going to say oh that guy okay. you know mm-hmm. but it's it's him it's so many people so many names that you, so many people that you're going to recognize immediately right as soon as it starts you're going to see four people you've seen in every movie you've ever seen and you're going to say oh, oh okay but they're all UK actors right and the story is very simple There's a 44-inch chest and there's a guy inside of there and the main character, the protagonist, is trying to decide should he kill him or not kill him. Very simple premise. He invites his friends over. His friends are gangsters just like he's a gangster and they're trying to help him work through his problem to decide if he should kill this guy. Do you know who this guy is? This is the guy that's been sleeping with his wife. And the whole movie, I'm not ruining it, that's the movie. They're trying to decide should he kill the guy or shouldn't he? that's the whole movie and I'm telling you it is a perfect movie from start to finish
0: does it take place in one room
1: it doesn't take place in one room but definitely in one one flat okay one flat it, it, it's um, incre it's is done to an incredible level of, of filmmaking writing directing editing score everything is incredible the acting is impeccable the special effects are impeccable. Yes, there are special effects even in this this small film. Um, everything was done so perfectly. So the definition of great is really, you know, kind of subjective. In terms of why is it so hard to make a great movie? I think if you have succeeded at accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish and you th- you feel successful in it, it's a great movie in terms of one that you've made. Now if you are talking about just watching movies yeah there's a lot of movies that will let you down you know. and maybe 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 this person who thinks that they made a great movie was just like a guy who I was telling you about who stunted his growth because all he's concerned about is how he measures up against the other filmmakers that he knows in his peer group and if he's thinking about that and he's constantly throwing in stuff and falling back on bad habits and never growing he may be satisfied but he hasn't made a great movie you know I think that you have to be beyond that Um, one of the one of the best uh, you know quotes is 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 from uh, the art of war where it talks about you know making yourself invincible right and invincible doesn't mean that you can't uh, that you win that doesn't mean you win Um, all that invincible means is putting yourself beyond the possibility of defeat And the only way to do that is by truly knowing yourself. You have to truly know yourself and not spend your time so concerned with what everybody else is doing. It's one of the reasons why I took down my personal profile on Facebook. I don't wanna know what everybody else is working on. I just wanna focus. I just wanna focus and I wanna grow. That's all I wanna do is focus and grow. And so you have to be without that vanity. You have to be without that ego so that you, you have the ability to grow. And when you are making something you're constantly growing and getting better and you can understand what didn't work what did work you can understand how could I have better communicated that so that it ended up on the screen the way that I wanted it to and how close did I get to the vision that I had in my head how close did I really truly get and even with one to one where I consider it to be my best film to date if you ask me how close I got I'd say 75 percent if I'm being generous with myself from being generous with myself I got 75 percent. I'm trying to get in the 90s <laughs> I'm trying to get in the 90s so that I can consider it a great film so that I can consider it a successful film I find that our greatest enemy besides constant comparing yourself to your peers <clears throat> the enemy of great um, or the enemy of good is is sometimes trying to be great As opposed to just trying to make the best movie possible you're trying to be great don't try to be great just try to be truthful and honest to the story to your characters try that be as honest and truthful as you can in that moment that story like I said may that truth may not resonate with everybody in in the sense of it's their truth but they have to understand that you were being honest when you were making this film One of the 48 Laws of Power that I feel that people overlook is the one that it says, always know who you're effing with. In this industry, it's so easy to just cast someone aside and say, this person is nobody. Person doesn't matter. This person isn't someone that can help me get to the next wrong. Because you're so caught up in yourself, right? You always have to take time to, and I'm going to back out of it to say it from another perspective, you always have to to step outside of what you're trying to accomplish and understand that your main objective, too, is to be of use and to be helpful. Because if you're of use and helpful, people like to have you around. If you're willing to share your knowledge and your experience, people love to have you around. So don't think about always what someone else can do for you understand what you can do to help them as well in all of that never treat someone as if they're insignificant or if they don't matter always know who you're effing with (laughs) because you never know that one person could have been the key to an opportunity that would have completely changed your life you have no idea even if you are You know, I preach so much about taking your destiny in your own hands, but you don't have the ability to control much of anything outside of yourself. These other people can open doors for you. And it may be that maybe you open the door for them and you just walk through with them. Maybe you just help this person go to the next level and then they say, you know what, I remember that time, this guy. You just never know. So always know who you're effing with, you know.
0: Which law is that? That's
1: good. oh I don't know which one it is, but it's in the forty eight laws okay. of power. Always know who you're <laughs> effing with, you know.
0: I'll have to go back to it. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll re-listen.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that book is I think it's a a more timely version of Art of War. That's what I think.
0: Sure.
1: I think it's it's better written for for this period.
0: Justin, we had this comment come in from one of our viewers, and it reads Guys, I'm so scared. There are a certain amount of movies I want to create, and I figured the best route to start would be with screenwriting, but I just wish I had a guide or something for the journey. It seems like people really spend years doing so much work and only have results after like a decade. I'm not sure if I want to be a screenwriter, but I do know that I have movies I want made. Help. What advice can y'all give me? So
1: wow Uh, pictures that he wants to get made but not quite sure how to go about it and doesn't want to spend decades doing something he doesn't love or she don't you know doing stuff they don't love in order to make that happen I would say pick a discipline and know that that's your focus and just start making stuff just start making stuff I think everybody gets so caught up in all the reasons why they can't do something they never think about why they can and I don't know what that is about us as artists that that makes that thought pop into your head but whenever I do something my, my wife will tell you I tell you a thousand and one reasons why we'll succeed and you'll have to tell me all the reasons why we can't and I'll tell you every reason why I can overcome that too um, that's really what it's about get out there and make it happen just get out there and make it happen if you know that screenwriting isn't where you want to be see if you can get somebody who is a screenwriter to do that part of it and then you just get out there and you make it I don't, I don't know what it is this person was trying to to um, what discipline they were trying to work in whether it was producing directing writing acting I don't know but whatever it is know that that's your main thing and the pieces that you don't want to concern yourself with in terms of learning how to do it and becoming very proficient in it I would say piece piece work that piecemeal that out like get someone else who is just as eager to create something as yourself and say let's create this together you handle that part I'll handle these parts and just do it that way and just get to creating just start creating stuff
0: have you always had that belief in yourself where you can think of all these reasons why you will succeed
1: no no I don't think I've always had that I think that um, I've always been I think I've always been by myself wanting people to include me in something and I went through my life with that until one day I no longer cared what everybody else was thinking or doing or willing to accept me and that's what was able to help me become more and more successful because I realized the only difference between like I'm the only difference between possible and impossible that's really it I am so if that is the truth then I don't really need any of these other people I don't need their approval I don't need their guidance I don't I don't need anything I can go over here and start making my own mistakes when I speak to someone else I want to learn from their mistakes that's what I want to learn from whatever advice you have it came from your mistakes I want to know about your mistakes if you have something to share if you don't just don't stand in my way you know because the train is moving this direction if you stand there I'll run you over because this is where I'm going so I don't really need any of it um, I can, I, can I, I came to a, a realization that when I made Adam K Adam K if you look at it I had to make up credits because I didn't want to look like I did everything but I did everything <laughs> I did every, it was me and my wife she handled uh, holding the boom pole she did makeup she did special effects she handled catering and um, I handled everything else <laughs> You know, and it was the two of us making a movie and we made it for 1500 bucks And everybody thinks we spend a crap load more than that but nope that's all we spent and it was proof I don't need a bunch of people to make that happen and neither does anyone else sit down take a camera or camera phone or something and start shooting something
0: was there a specific incident or something that happened that made you realize I don't I don't need
1: the group um That you're willing to share no I mean I think it I think more than anything it was it was the constant disappointment because when you're starting out and you don't have very much money you you start to see who will work with you for very little money right so their incentive is only that very little money that's it it's not the passion it's not growing with you it's not any of that stuff they have no investment in your journey or theirs whatsoever they want that 50 bucks or 100 bucks that you can pay them and guess what happens if somebody else comes along and says they'll give them 200 bucks they will be off your set and you will be there by yourself and that happened to me excuse me numerous times numerous times where people would just bail I was shooting something a short film and they just bail and that's it or they don't show up and you're like what what is this you know and so I went into to Adam K and I just I wanted to see can I shoot this myself. I shot another film called Bleed for Me. And I shot that one completely by myself. That one was me taking the boom pole and propping it up in a corner <laughs> so that it would capture audio and then I would shoot with the with the camera and I would be setting up the lights and I would order food and bring it over, you know. I literally shot Bleed for Me by myself and edited it. You know? But it was because so many people that I brought aboard flaked, just flaked and flaked and flaked, and I just I began to realize I don't need any of these people. Actually, I mean it's good to have them around, you know, it lightens the load a bit, but I don't need them. And so once I once I really realized that my only reason for bringing someone on board if I have the money to pay them well, you only, you're you're. The reason why you're on this project is because you do something better than I could myself and you truly do lighten the load but if it's something that I realize that at any point that I'm just better off doing it myself I will I'll just do it myself because it's better off that way
0: how does someone maximize their chances for breaking in in Hollywood whatever breaking in is
1: Um, I, in the shortest answer the same way you can increase your odds of winning a boxing match throw a whole lot of punches now does that mean you'll win no it just gives you a puncher's chance right so if you just keep taking your shot taking your shot taking your shot eventually something will land hopefully now if you're looking at a more skillful way to get there and to continue to work I say perfect your craft and constantly take opportunities to get more experience and to be helpful, to put yourself in a position to better utilize those muscles and those strengths of yours, and, and and make those weaknesses no longer a weakness. Make them an advantage. You know, start to do that so that you become you become not only better at the craft, but you can navigate the system a little bit better because that is more helpful um but I I think those are the ways you you increase your odds as well in in a more calculated way and I I tell people too I I tell this to actors I tell this to writers I tell it to anybody keep creating your own content keep creating because even though you no one is going to come looking just odds nobody's going to come looking at your web series and saying that needs to be on NBC that's not really happening but what it does it allows you to grow it allows you to do what most people would do in a film school which is you get to fail and fail and fail and fail until you're no longer failing right our greatest enemy is that we keep waiting for someone someone to give us a shot and if you haven't had enough shots you're just failing under their watchful eye that's all you're doing. So why not do that on your own? You know, just shoot some stuff, get more experience, work through your strengths, understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and begin to work through those things and make those, you know, your advantages as well. And just become all around uh, a great technician in your craft, as well as a great creative in your in your craft.